Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. So good to be with you. You know, uh, we got a great, oh, we got a great show for you today. Have you ever wondered um, if somebody was lying to you? Like, I just found out today that our board oper- operator, what do we call you, our engineer, our board, our uh, Bored monkey. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Resident he, doctor of passion. Oh yeah, resident doctor of passion. I just found out that you've been lying to me. Wait, what? For about a year and a half. How long have you been dating this young lady? For about a year and actually not really about nine months. My living, you're moving. Uh, you've been lying to me <laughs> because I have for that entire time you would not tell me her name. That's not a lie. But I'm pretty sure you said it started with an M. So for the past nine months, I've been trying to figure out her name. Which you've gotten super close. Yeah. Well, I've pretty much said every name that starts with an M that exists. And That's that's true. Her name doesn't start with an M. Nope. Her name starts with a K. Yep. Her name is Kaylee. Yep. (laughs) I wasn't even close. Kaylee. My my weekend completely just changed. Why? I thought it was in Provo. No. The reception, which is awesome. It's up in Salt Lake. I, I don't have to drive down here again. Look at the picture. She is beautiful. Yeah. And then there's some guy wearing a vest. I think it's a life preserver. Yeah, what is up with that? I saw that on like Back to the Future. They make oh, yeah. fun of the life preserver. Yeah, it's like, that? what'd you do? Jump ship? I'm like, what's going on? It's a Titanic life preserver. Yeah. She's well. It's a good stand-in for you. And I've yeah. met her twice, but ah, oh, does she, oh, I worry about her? Does she know what she's doing? No. There's there's all these like chemical reactions going on. You know? Oh yeah, no, totally. I talk. And about I her. think she's been blinded. Blinded by the light. Her judgment's been impaired. And then James lied to me. Today we're talking about Lies. liars, right? We're going to talk about liars. We're going to talk about monkeys, the movie. We're going to yeah. talk about uh, when you're married, uh, when you're dating, how you think all your problems are going to go away right when you get married. It fixes everything. So this is all for this is this show is for James. This show is dedicated to James and Kaylee, who are getting married on May second, right after the Avengers movie. <sighs> yeah, don't bring that up. Well, that's, that's how gonna, my that's well, how my life is going to work that day. Go see the movie. <laughs> say hi to James. I'm just. You know what was weird about we, – we got the wedding invitation from James. But you know what, James? My name's not on it at all. Like featuring? There's no like – yeah. So you have the bride, the groom uh, featuring Matt Townsend. Uh, first, or excuse me, Dr. Yeah, Matt Townsend. First dance. Oh, okay. First dance provided by? Dr. Matt <laughs> The Dr. <laughs> Matt Townsend show. <laughs> Didn't have that on there. You can write it on there actually. There's there's some blank space yeah, there. There's, there's some room. Well, there's, yeah. I just thinking it wouldn't – if I write it on there, it won't – be on everyone's it but would, it'll be on yours and it, that's what counts. it wouldn't really go with the design but did you, you know. design this by the way i did actually that's nice you designed your own card this is amazing it's either that or some announcement for a uh i don't know some sort of gathering 
Something yeah. that you would be you, Matt could probably go and like give some keynote address at. Kaylee Kaylee. She's that's a great name. Boy, I wasn't even close. You I'm should put keynote address provided by. Yeah, Dr. That Nash should how, how that should read. You know, um he's growing up, Terry. Our our boys Again, we found we found cute little James. Somebody had dropped him off on the front step of BYU Broadcasting Building. In a gift basket. In a gift basket, cellophane. Yeah. It was sealed. He was having a hard time breathing. <laughs> and he was just clinched to a Martinelli's bottle, just you know, nestled right into it. There was a chocolate orange next to me as well. Was there? Yeah, one yeah. of those gross chocolate oranges. I mean, unless you like them. Yeah, then they're fine, but they're pretty but, gross. Uh, and since then, we've raised him up, taught him how to run the board. Like Don did that, but yeah, yeah, we it was a family. I sh- I kind of showed up. He knew what he was doing. So. It takes a village to raise a child or a board operator. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's good. It's it's kind of a sad moment. I'm glad to know Kaylee's name now. For yeah. her? Is it sad for her? I'm sad for her. Yeah. <laughs> she, doesn't, yeah. she doesn't know what but I hope she'll listen to today's show because we'll teach her how to spy a lie. Yes. How to detect a, a lie. Now, your goal is not just to be a lie detector. You you want to be able to, you know, help that person to overcome yeah. the tendency to You want to, to learn lie. to seek truth, not just pick out liars. But we'll get to that. Pamela Meyer will be joining us. Um, also, uh, any headlines, anything going on in the news? The, uh, they call, they're calling him the gyrocopter guy. Yeah. But I learned this morning he's actually flying an auto gyro. Pardon? The, the, the thing he was sitting in, the flying lawnmower. Yeah. Right? Weed eater. It's called, <clears throat> it's called an auto gyro. Yeah. It auto gyrates. That's the actual name of the really? vehicle, not a gyrocopter. A gyrocopter does not exist. Okay. It's called an auto gyro. It doesn't matter, no. but no. well, that guy, the Florida mailman who achieved infamy yeah. Wednesday by flying the gyrocopter, as it says, under the lawn of the Capitol, was charged with two federal crimes on Thursday, violating restricted airspace and operating an unregistered aircraft. 61-year-old Doug Hughes flew under the radar, as the Homeland Security no, Secretary Jay me. Johnson put it. He drew alarms, but you know he exposed security leaks. There's all kinds of risks and areas yeah. where he can get in to this airspace. You shouldn't be able to do that. Um, they think he'll be under home arrest. He'll he's in Florida awaiting arraignment, and it's interesting. They might just let him. But know, he he kind of got he got in and out pretty fast. Oh yeah, they arrested him in the court out like in the and fastest out. process of the legal system in years. It's like, let's not talk about this. Get him out of here. Yeah. But he he also has been talking about it for months. Yeah. He then flew under the radar and then over the Capitol. Well, not over the Capitol, but around I the Capitol. I thought he flew over the dome is what I thought. I no, thought I heard that. He didn't get that high. Well, it's a gyrocopter. No, it's a... Uh, scaffolding. It's an auto gyro. <clears throat> auto gyro. Huh. Well... The boy. guy that shot the uh, video of the North Charleston police officer shooting an unarmed black man? Yeah. That guy is now charging $10,000 for anyone who wants to use that. I would. That video, and he sent out cease and desist orders to every media outlet who was continuously showing yeah. his video. But, yeah. He, but, but the that problem dude is, risked his life. Well, yeah, but it's a week late. Yeah. And everyone's got their, their, yeah, how, how their you, run of the, of the movie. It's on YouTube. There's over a million or you know, millions of views on YouTube. So he's kind of missed his yeah. moment to capitalize. How do you stop that? The bell is rung. But he's doing that anyway. But too, when you're, I mean, what? A, honestly, he's one of the big heroes there. Because if that hadn't been captured, we wouldn't know that that could be going on. Is that 
cheapen the hero status by charging for the yeah video? Not a little bit yeah but okay. again that dude risked his life man you you kept filming a guy that had a gun that just flat out shot somebody and you just kept filming him i mean that's pretty gutsy we talked about vlad putin vlad he had his uh marathon national state of the soviet not soviet state yeah state, state of, of the, the russian union. uh union conversation he, he, he with talked the about the soviet union he said, uh, he said, uh, the good old times. He, the good old days. He warned of the dangers of imperialism while saying his nation had no ambition to restore the empire of post World War II Soviet Union. Huh. Fielding questions during his annual call in event with Russian citizens, he said Moscow attempts to foist its economies, or he, foist? Foist. There's an L in there. Yeah. Somebody misspelled that typos in your computer. To voice, it's not, I didn't type it. Voice the economic model on its neighboring states ended in nothing but good. So, the, 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 what the Soviet Union did and the ideas then didn't work. So, he wants to progress and do something different. Right. Okay. He goes, they're admitting those were bad times. And avoid, and uh, pivoting from there, he then dinged the U.S. for not. He he accused the U.S. for not realizing the same danger as it pursued a strikingly similar foreign policy to the Soviet Union. So he compared what we're doing to the— Right. He's doing like—what he's doing is color commentary on the political process. He's just doing a play-by-play. And yesterday was a big day for movie trailers. (laughs) Yes. Star Wars 7. Oh, really? The second trailer— for that movie They're that comes out in December came so out. So now we are we are like announcing the big launch of a trailer. Well, they're, they're, they didn't do a teaser trailer to that one. Okay. But they, they put out the trailer because there's an event going on in Anaheim called the Star Wars Celebration. It is a, there's a bunch of panel discussions at yeah. this event. It's a Star Wars con of, co- of, yeah. uh, of a type. Panel discussions today. Jedi training, droid builders room, secrets of the Moe's Eiley... Am I saying that right? Mos Eisley Cantina? Mos Eisley. There you go. Yep. <laughs> the Ewok decorating, extreme stormtrooper challenge, and a date with Princess Leia. Mm. Carrie Fisher will take questions. Sounds like a party. Also, the trailer for Batman versus Superman leaked on YouTube. It was up for about three minutes. A bunch of people got a copy of it, and I was able to watch it. Oh, you so were? So it was a pretty good day. Um, uh, so uh, that is that the bar that has Yoda, the Yoda bar? No. No. To me, it seems like um, this, whatever it is, Star Wars Con, what, I don't know, whatever they're calling it. The Star Wars Celebration. Star Wars Celebration. Seems like it, if you walked, if the average human walked in, it'd be like that bar scene with Yoda. With all of these kind of wannabe Star Wars characters, lots of Princess Leia, you know, funny hair bun women walking around. But all of them are really just in California, and they're all going to go home to a you know studio apartment right. to play video games. Kind of how it looked. Yeah, sounds they, like fun. They showed one of the droids from the new movie, and there were a lot a lot of gaping looks on people's face, just just mesmerized, really? and astounded. Look at that! Like just drooling. There's a radio controlled robot. Wow. So sounds like the uh, Kaylee and James wedding. Dork fest. Is what it is. Oh, not Dork Not the wedding, but Star Wars celebration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah. No. Kaylee, Kaylee, James, their their wedding won't be Dork Fest. Oh, part of it will be. 
just the James side of it. But you're not a dork. You're just you're the just, part where I walk in and I go, James, did you see the Avengers? That part will be. Oh, that's but, so wrong. And then he'll go, No, I didn't. They're making a covenant, a promise, a commitment to each other, and you're going to bring up Avengers. <sighs> we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Pamela Meyer, um, who really, truly is an expert in lie spotting. If you go to her website, liespotting.com. She wrote the book on it. We're going to be learning the ins, the outs, the ups, and the downs to uh, spotting a liar, detecting what is truth, what isn't. That'll be up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, the goal of this show is to give you the tools, the ideas you need to live a healthier, happier life. We don't want to just, you know, keep giving you the news. Everybody can just keep piling on the news. I feel like many times most of us, we don't even know what to do with all of this information. So we could just keep giving you the latest announcement of somebody that maybe has lied I mean, just let me give you a few names and and just remember what comes to mind when you hear all of these things. Lance Armstrong, Bill Clinton, John Edwards, Herman Cain, Anthony Weiner, George Bush and nuclear weapons, Barack Obama. You will be able to keep your doctors. Remember all that? Uh, Lots of, uh, you know, lies and alleged alleged lies. The reality is our life are filled. They're filled with lies, not just from the you know national uh, people, the the politicians, but also from each other. What if I told you that thirty seven percent of phone calls there were lies detected in thirty seven percent of your phone calls over one week period? Twenty seven percent of face to face meetings lies were detected. Twenty one percent of IM chats lies were detected. Fourteen percent of emails. You can detect a lie all in a, in a one-week period. Okay, that's just one study. Joining us today is Pamela Meyer. She um, is the author of the book Lie Spotting, Proven Techniques to Detect Deception, and uh, has an incredibly uh, powerful TED Talk if you go to TED.com, but also has a wonderful website called LieSpotting.com. She joins us today. She holds an MBA from Harvard and another master's in public policy from Claremont Graduate School is a certified fraud examiner, and she's here today to teach us not just to de- you know to detect lies, but maybe more importantly to learn to start seeking truth and building trust. Pamela Meyer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here, and that is not a lie. <laughs> that is not a lie. I love what you're doing, and this. I mean, you, you make a comment in your TED Talk that is it's kind of mind-boggling, um, but pretty much guaranteed that the person you love the most is a liar. The person you are sitting next to right now is a liar, and you yourself, every one of us, are liars. Is, is that a pretty bold statement, Pamela? It is a bold statement, but you have to really understand what lying is about because, you know, we all kind of wish – we were better husbands, better wives, richer, taller, more powerful. We all have wishes. Yeah. 
And lying is an attempt to bridge the gap between how we wish our world could be and what it's really like. And when you understand that, you start to be a little bit more forgiving about the lies because when you start to get to the truth and you understand why someone needs to bridge that gap, you can be a lot more forgiving about it. Well, that's interesting. We really are just trying to bridge the ideal of what we want to be and the real. So that's all the lie is. It's not just to hurt us, to crush another person. It's, it's to just make some bridge. Well, a lot of times, you, you know, you will come across a very, very, very significant, what we call a high-stakes lie, where a lie is done to intend harm in some way, and we have to be very careful about, and I'm much more concerned about those than I am the white lies, mm-hmm. you know, honey, you don't look fat today, or that yeah. kind of thing. But even in regular life, particularly in the business world, oftentimes so much of our deception is about an awkwardness or a fear of conflict, a fear of confronting things directly. So we have to really parse out. We can't point the finger and just say liar, liar, pants on fire. Not all lies are necessarily bad. Sometimes they're actually a gateway to understanding the truth better about somebody. Yeah, I I love that because I see just in my couples coaching that we do that there's a lot of just tense moments, a lot of fear that we're trying to work around. And it's just so much easier to just say something, a little white lie versus, you know, starting the whole big discussion that we've got to sort through. How do you – do you feel like we um, we can naturally detect liars? It seems like a lot of times we can just intuit it. We sense it. Well, you know, actually, the more confident you are in your deception detection ability, the worse you are at it. Oh, really? It's one of those skills that we actually have to learn ourselves because if you think about it, when you serve a tennis ball, for example, you get instant feedback if it's out and you can adjust your behavior mm-hmm. immediately and your second serve will be in. But with lying, oftentimes we don't find out till many, many years later or even at all that someone has lied. So we don't get that instant feedback of someone's behavior when they're lying and there's no real learning curve to go up, which is why we have to learn the skills ourselves. And they really, there are skills. There's, there's techniques. I noticed in your TED Talk, it's beautiful because you use video and we can watch certain video and, and you just teach very, I mean, very basic things that will help us um, detect a lie. Talk about just a few of those. What are some of the things we could be using or tuning into that might give us more information about what people are telling us? Well, you know, when you're trying to figure out if someone's being deceptive, the first thing you have to do, because I'm sure you know this, you never want to accuse someone wrongly, and you need to be very careful to understand that there's no parlor trick here. You're really looking for red flags so you can get a sense of whether or not someone's being deceptive. So the first thing you have to do is what the FBI agents do as well, which is called baselining. How are you? How was your weekend? What did you do? Did you go shopping? You get a sense of someone's norm. Because if you ask them a hard question, they start tapping their foot. It doesn't mean anything if mm-hmm. they're a foot tapper. So you first you baseline someone and you figure out what their real norm is. So you have a reference point. And then you're looking for what we call verbal and nonverbal indicators of deceit. So when you ask someone a hard question and they're being deceptive, the cognitive load on their system rises. Mm because they're trying to appear composed, be spontaneous, cover up their lie in some way. And so they leak verbal and nonverbal clusters or indicators of deceit. And on the nonverbal side, when you're looking at someone's body language, you may ask them a hard question, and oftentimes they might rub their eyes, touch below their eyes if they're a woman, or kind of fool with their hair. We call these grooming gestures, Mm. dusting lint off the shoulders, hand wringing. Oftentimes they'll kind of slump into their chair, lower their voice, 
you're looking for someone to kind of unconsciously exit in some way. And the most significant shifts you'll see are in their posture. You know, we anchor ourselves to the ground in a certain way. And when you ask someone a really hard question, oftentimes they'll shift their Uh, posture. Get their feet on the ground like, here we go. It's interesting. You have to be careful with body language because oftentimes – Someone might just be nervous. Oh, sure. You really need to be very careful. And like you say, it's not a parlor trick. And so we shouldn't probably be trying to, you know, catch people. This isn't about like being, you know, somebody that's going to trick them and catch them. It's really about learning maybe the art of seeking truth and and understanding what's really happening. That's exactly right. Because if you have the tenacity to sort of communicate during the most uncomfortable time, yeah. And most of us won't do this. You know, we'll sabotage a deceptive situation by going around someone's back or acting kind of passive aggressively, you know, sending the email to your friend or avoiding the conflict altogether. If you have that ability to communicate during difficult times, what happens is that you end up infusing your family or your organization with trust because you signal to everyone around you that you're a fair player. Mm. And that really is – that's probably the lost art, isn't it? Just the ability to sit in that space that's difficult. That's exactly right. And, yeah, that creates the trust you're saying. People believe in that. They trust that. Yeah. I mean we call it the difficult conversations yeah. with the difficult person during the difficult time. <laughs> that's <laughs> so the hardest true. challenge, but that's really the one we have to rise to. It's so true. And um, oh, I think there's just so much to this. We're talking again with Pamela Meyer, author of the book Lie Spotting, Proven Techniques to Detect Deception. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, get into more skills, more tools we can use, and also maybe just more importantly um, – more keys in how we how we build trust, not just detect lies, but how do we become a more trustworthy person, even in our own communication styles? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, trying to help you find the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Or don't. That'd be great. But uh, apparently, folks, this a lot of this lying um, that we're doing with one another, it's, it's to bridge the gap, right, between my ideal self and my real life. We're just trying to, you know, seem more like what we want to be. Um, and then what's amazing to me, too, as, is as a human being, you have inherent in you all of these abilities. If we could just be in the moment, pay attention, deal with this the tense situation that's going on or our own internal dialogue and our own fears. What if we could learn to turn some of that off and pay attention to what's there? I'm a big believer that uh, one cannot not communicate. Paul Watzlewick used to say that or says that you cannot not communicate. And so people are always going to be letting it out. I mean, sometimes they'll be saying something and um, like, you know, advocating strongly for something, but still shaking their head like it's they're saying no. That information is right there. And our expert that we're talking with right now, Pamela Myers, joining us. She is a certified fraud examiner 
and also the author of the book Lie Spotting.、Um, by the way, also the CEO of Calibrate, which is a deception detection training company. And、uh, as well as a social networking company named Simpatico Networks, she、um, she's just creating tools, giving tools. Has a wonderful website called LieSpotting dot com,、um, which has a lot of resources there to help us understand how to detect better truth in others. Again, Pamela, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. What do we need to?、Um, where do we begin? So as we're sitting there and we're we, we're kind of able to stay in the space. That's difficult. Maybe we're in an argument with a spouse, or we're we're trying to talk to our child that we're pretty much convinced is lying to us about where they've been. How do we how do we situate ourselves, and and where should we begin to understand the truth? Well, there are two pieces here. First, there's being able to understand where those red flags are for deception, and of course, you want to try to get to the truth, but. And I can give you some of those red flags. We talked a little bit about the body language、mm-hmm. cues. There are also verbal cues. Somebody may be saying to tell you the truth in all honesty. We call that qualifying language. They may really narrow the field of their deception substantially, saying, "I didn't take the five dollars out of the drawer." Not, "Hey, I never stole anything right, in my life." Right. Um, they may use religious references. I swear to God on my mother's grave, I never cc'd your boss. <laughs> you know,、yeah. you hear that?、Um, <laughs> but what you, what you want to do when you have someone you think is deceptive is you really want to be careful first with your own view of them that you're not going to judge them in any way at all. You want to pursue facts, not people, because you're going to lose rapport if、mm. you do that. And everyone has a reason why they've lied.、Mm-hmm. And so you want to give someone. A chance. You want to almost enter their delirium and make sure that they understand that you're not going to judge them. You really want to get to the truth, so you can tease out the next steps that are going to help everyone move forward. So if you start pointing the finger like they do on that TV show Law and Order, what did you do? Where were you?、Mm-hmm. You're never going to get there. Well, that's、so、you it. Because by really having an open mind, because they can read you too, right? If they sense that you are judging them and you've already convicted them, that will just create more tension, which will probably throw off the signs. Well, that's right, and you have to realize that this is not a technique. You really don't want to be judgmental. Right. So it's not—it's not just about oh boy, if I don't act judgmental, they're not going to—you know—they'll get—they'll give me the truth. You really want, very seriously, in the bottom of your heart, to say, okay, everyone has a reason for doing what they do. I need to understand this person's greater truth.、Hmm. And if you start from that position, they'll sense that, and they will actually flower and open up to you if you can really come from that place. Yeah, then then they can then they can just at least explore the truth, even if the the facts of what's going on might convict them of something. That、um, they'd still be more willing to share them because they I guess they sense you. That's cool. I mean, and that's but that really is hard, isn't it? To not be so caught up. I, I call that suspending. I've got to suspend my certainty and just stay in that space of kind of being open to more data. Well, I think if you start from a mindset of Self improvement. Every single relationship you have is an opportunity to improve yourself and to improve your relationships. And if you start from that position, here's another opportunity that's just in front of me. That helps quite a bit.、Hmm. And, and there are a number of questions that you can ask somebody that will allow you to get information. You know, if you say to someone, "What's the pettiest thing that's bothering you right now?" That doesn't mean it's necessarily petty, but you're giving them permission. You're saying, "I'm not、yeah. going to judge it."、Oh, They're not going to tell you something petty. Yeah, tell you something significant. Yeah, you, you took off the pressure by allowing them to be petty. 
That's powerful. Right. And, you know, we know from our negotiation studies, if you say to someone at the end of a negotiation, if, is there anything else you want to tell me? 50% of people will actually tell you something. Really? They'll open up and give you more. Yeah. And you'll learn something that sometimes it's that last nugget of information, that last nugget of truth you're going to get to at the very end after they've given you all their excuses and the long rehearsed story and everything else. Is there anything else you want to tell me? You'll learn something important. Well, how powerful could that be as a, as a parent when you're having a, a really difficult conversation, they open up a little bit, and then at the end you say something like, is there anything else you want to, you want to let me know or share with me? I mean, yeah, that's the other powerful. thing you can say is, how can I be useful to you? You know what? Most people, regardless of their age, will tell you. Mm-hmm. And that's truth. I mean, what's so funny about that? That's truth. That, but that's information you might not get otherwise. Exactly. And then that you're like, I mean, in those other situations where, is there anything I can do for you? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they actually, that, they used to, they would keep that hidden. But now they're able to open it up because they sense you're there hmm. and open to it. Yeah, I mean, you're essentially inviting feedback. And when we train people in the business world, what we do is we have them write it down because you really internalize it much more significantly if you write down someone's feedback. You may hear it lots of different ways, but if it's written down, you can go back to it. How do you get your head in the space where you can hear this difficult stuff? I have a lot of, uh, for example, spouses that have found out their partner's been cheating on them that I work with. And it's almost like the person that's been cheated on isn't strong enough to hear uh, what this person is saying. So you, I know, talk about the fact that a lie isn't one way. The lie is between both of us. Right. I, you say it and I, I allow you to say it or keep the lie. I don't think I don't think you can make a judgment as to how anybody can be ready for that. I think each person in each relationship has its own natural course. And so everyone's in a different place. Yeah. Sometimes people at the very beginning of hearing something new for the first time that's incredibly startling and rocks their world. Other times they've been waiting to hear it for a long time. It's almost a relief because there's a certain element of truth to it. And so it's very, very hard to make a blanket judgment. But what you can do is you can encourage people not to have to have the entire conversation at once. It doesn't have to be a watershed moment. You can do it in bits and pieces. You can come back to it. It's a long-standing dialogue that eventually gets you to a greater understanding that Mm. makes both both folks more powerful in the end. And it really is, um, is my ability to hear it and be in that space with you, does it impact your ability to keep lying? Well, that's so interesting that you asked that question because study after study shows that the more we signal to other people that we're an honest player and that we're willing to hear them, the less likely they are to be deceptive. Hmm. And so it really is a cooperative act, both deception and communication. It requires both sides. Oftentimes we want to believe someone's lying because it continues to allow us to participate in the lie in some way. It can be a codependent kind of a process, and so lying can be a cooperative act. But truth-seeking is also very, very much a cooperative act. The more able you are and and able you are, the more you are able to demonstrate you can handle it, hear it, accept it, learn from it, Um, the more open they can be. And then the opposite of, is true. The less I can handle it, the more the more secretive they might feel they have to be. Exactly. Huh. It really, it's interesting because in, a lot of times when, when we've been lied to or someone's lying to us, we, we put so much of the onus on the liar 
But I guess the the benefit of this concept or this paradigm that it's cooperative means I guess I have some power to change it by just how I handle it. I think that's right. I think, you know, the measure of our character is always how we deal with our darkest and most Uh difficult challenges. And so even when you're in the moment of hearing the worst information you could possibly hear that really can change your world, if you can stand up to that, if you can allow yourself to view the way you handle it as important as the information you're hearing, it allows you to take on that challenge and understand that there's there's a greater truth and there's more faith that you can have that, that things will actually turn out okay. It's it's a fascinating thing too because I you that you're you basically keep saying it's not formulaic. So it's not like you can just, you know, take a pill or learn this one thing and you can find it all. There's just a bunch of principles you need to learn but then get comfortable with the principles, right? Well, that's right. And then you also have to really practice yeah. You have to practice having these hard conversations with people because it's not easy to do. It's much easier to walk away or send a text or call your friend. And I'm not a big advocate for harsh confrontation because I yeah. don't think that works either. But just having the tenacity to communicate when it's a little bit uncomfortable can really shift your world. It can rock your world when you when you do it on a consistent basis. Yeah, your confidence. I mean, I imagine if I could go in there and sit down with a person that I have evidence has murdered somebody – and sit there and get them to open up and, and do that. To me, that looks like a really intense conversation. But then I sit there with couples that are divorcing, and that's a pretty intense conversation. But it really is. It's like a, it's like it builds your aptitude. It builds your your ability, but your confidence is stronger to handle other things as well, just day-to-day stuff. Well, it's interesting you say that because sometimes when we train groups of employees, we will put a horrific audio up of Jerry Sandusky mm. talking about his relationship with little boys. Uh, and it's, it's horrible. And people look at the trainer and they say, what are you doing? Why are you bringing Jerry Sandusky into this room? This is just horrible. And we freeze it and we say, look, there's a reason you're being repulsed, but you're not allowed to be repulsed in this moment. You don't want to look down your nose at somebody across the table who just committed an act you would never commit. You really need to pursue the facts and not people. And you need to keep your own judgments intact and try to stay open to the information. And we use it we use it really to desensitize people as a way to understand where their own biases may be coming from. Oh, that's powerful. I mean, and that's such an interesting idea because the minute I'm judging a Jerry Sandusky, which is so easy to do, um, but it, it probably, I guess it stops me from picking up more information because I've already, I've already got my answer. So I'll, it'll, I'll just basically be looking for data that supports what I want. Right, and I'm I'm not apologizing for him no. in any way. No, no, you have no. every right to go home yeah. and say, "Oh my God, this is he's a freak show, right?" Horrific, right? But in the moment, if you really mm-hmm. want to get someone into a conversation with you and get to the facts, you really have to be on their level, whatever it may be. And there's no faking that. You can't if no. you if you can't sit there and and not and not judge somebody. If you can't do that, you can't do that. But it will impact your ability to influence them and be influenced by them. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the shortcut for not faking it, because it's true, it's impossible when you're, you've got a monster in front of you, how yeah. are you going to actually act like that's okay? Right. The shortcut is to remain curious. It's, you you want to get out of knowing mode, and you want to stay in curiosity mode, and you have to remind yourself over and over again, this is really fascinating. Why did this person do this? What is going on here? And if you stay in that curiosity mode, you can keep yourself out of the danger zone. Hmm. 
That's I mean, an interesting. That's a that's a child, right? Uh, stays yeah. curious, asks a lot of questions. Uh, is there a difference between who lies more? Do men lie more? Do women lie more? Or is it just dependent? Do children <laughs> do lie think? more? What I, do you think? Do you think men lie or more or women <sighs> lie more? I think we probably lie the same amount, but for different reasons. That's exactly right. Is that right? Well, men men lie more really to boost themselves up in mm-hmm. the image of others, whereas women lie more to protect other people. We lie with kind of equal frequency, but for different reasons. <laughs> Not interesting. How about age wise? Do we? Do, I mean, you gave a great example of even a baby is a little deceptive. Yeah, I mean, babies are known to fake a cry and then pause and wait to see who's coming. <laughs> Open one um, eye. Yeah. And, you know, the internet is full of videos of little girls with chocolate all over their face saying, I didn't eat the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, we, you know, we learn lying as a survival skill as, as we evolve. But there are no studies uh, that I know of that actually look at uh, age ranges hmm. against actual amounts of what, deception. What does your gut feeling tell you? As, as we get older and wiser, do we change, do we become more open, more, uh, do we communicate differently? Do we lie less as we're older? Well, I think we adapt. Hmm. I certainly think we adapt and we're slicker and more more able to obfuscate. You know, many, many lies are lies of omission. So we probably get better at lies of omission as we get older. But I don't know if there's a turning point as we get wiser Uh that shifts again. One would hope so. Yeah, you sure would, wouldn't you? Does – is is the pursuit um, of truth realistic – you know, because it's still your it's still your view, my view, your awareness, my awareness, your story, my story. Can we ever really get close to truth? Absolutely. Talk about Absolutely. that. For us. I mean, certainly, my truth is never going to be the same as your truth. We're going to see the same event. We're going to see it a little bit differently. There's no question about yeah. that. Yeah. But the overlap of your view and my view, we're never going to find that overlap if we don't express what our views are hmm. and we don't have that conversation. And I think when you show that you're willing to see things from someone else's eyes and you give them the opportunity to to do that, the same for you, you find that overlap. And in that overlap really is some form of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about um, if you you had to sit down and talk to the people you care about the most, what's the one thing you would say – what's the one thing we should all begin with and focus on? to have the biggest impact in not just spotting lies, but really in, in, in building a trust that's going to last between us? What would you tell your kids, your neighbors, your grandkids, your family? I'd start from a place of love. I'd say, I'd, I'd tell them first that I love them and that I respect them. And when you start from that place, and you really feel that, and someone really feels loved and really feels respected, and then you say, how can I be helpful to you? Is there anything you want to tell me? How can I be useful to you? Let me hear you. Let me listen. And you really show that you're willing to do that. And then you're, you get out of your way and you, you, you shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you let them talk. Yeah, let, and then, um, let, and then let, them, let, let them influence you. Right. Yeah. Once somebody feels loved, that, I guess that's the key, huh? That turns off that fight or flight brain or whatever. And then they can I maybe it, open up. I think it helps. I think it makes yeah. a huge difference, yeah. Wow, good stuff. Well, we we really truly appreciate you, Pamela, and that the work you're doing. Um, the book's called Lie Spotting: Proven Techniques to Detect Deception, 
Go to the website, lifespotting.com. It is such a great resource. I've spent all morning on it. Um, just tons of information about the workshops, uh, different uh, you know archives, articles you can read. She gives away a lot of information on basic techniques for lie spotting. Pamela Myers is her name. We appreciate you. And uh, man, every one of us, you can't beat just the simple idea of creating a space where somebody knows you love them. And then ask that very valuable question, how can I be useful to you? What else, what else do you want to tell me? It's so powerful, folks. Then, then they'll be open. They're, they're open to sharing. Once they see that you can handle it, uh, they'll be willing to give you more. Good stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hoping to help you find the good in the world. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey, welcome back, friends. Holy cow, man. What a what a cool skill set to be able to read very quickly a liar. Hmm. She made a joke uh, on her TED Talk, I believe, somewhere I heard it, that, you know, nobody wants to go to lunch with her because she'll catch them in a lie. Oh, yeah. Sure, she has a what a lie detecting, yeah, well, glasses, consulting, yeah, or, workshop, yeah. So yeah. She, she has a program that is called Calibrate, and it helps you learn to to read people better. But one of the things too that she um, she shows in the TED Talk are videos of like uh, John Edwards when he was talking about his oh, paternity yeah. test. She's looking at micro expressions uh-huh. and things, and in he's the like, face. He, yeah. he would say something like. Hey, I'll I'll take a paternity test whenever you want me to. And the whole time he's shaking his head no, but he's saying, I'll do it whenever. Yeah. And um, she talks about stiffening of your body and your upper body will kind of stiffen up when you're starting to lie. She teaches you um, what a fake smile looks like versus a real smile. You can – everybody can smile, but a real smile, you get those crow's feet in the corner of your eyes and those can't be faked. Those have to like be earned in a real smile. But she just takes you through little skills. And the cool thing about her website is a lot of it's just right there. You can just go online and watch a bunch of stuff, learn a bunch of stuff. But um, you know it. I mean you can tell – you're a human being that's designed to – receive feedback from other human beings. Children, in fact, BYU did a study. I think it's like eight months of age can detect the emotion and mirror the emotion of their parents. So babies at eight months, 10 months can immediately start mirroring your your emotion. So we're wired to mirror. And if you're getting some doubts about your partner, I'd trust the doubt. I always believe we should we should always trust the nonverbals, the facial expressions, all of that other information more than the words, right? I mean, I for how long, 10 months, thought James's wife-to-be, I thought her name started with an M because he told me that. Right. But he's a liar. He's a liar. See, and I, I, I question my wife yeah. because I'll do something and it was wrong or... Give us an example. Well, like last night. Not okay. necessarily wrong. It could be anything. I mean, last night I was really excited about certain movie trailers. Oh, boy. And she looked over and said, it's okay. I know that's a lie. It's not okay. 
No. She's thinking, what have I done? Yes. She's regretting decisions she has made. (laughs) (laughs) She's thinking, I'm trapped. Wow. Really? Again? Uh, I don't want to see Avengers. No. She's trapped. She can't get out. She's stuck. It's one of those things where it's like, blink once if you're being held against your will, you know, (laughs) and she may. I don't know. No, she called me yesterday. She totally is. But that kind of thing, yeah, I kind of question her, her sincerity when she says, no, no, it's okay. When she said it, was she shaking her head left to right? Yeah, sort of. Okay, that's that means no. Yeah. I, there was a TV show several years ago. It's been canceled. It was called Lie to Me. And it was about a consulting firm that they would be brought in to solve case, like crime cases yeah. because someone's lying. But the, the police can't prove it. And this guy would come in and they'd look at people and they, they'd look at micro expressions. And then they'd go back to their office and they have all these computers. And they'd show you these pictures of politicians. And they'd show you their micro expressions or things they would say, body, you know, language, that yeah. kind of expression. Yeah. And they would show you where they were lying. And oh. I, I was always interested, how real is this? Because some of these shows really cut corners on yeah. whatever the truth is on, on how they're doing it. Because they're trying to make a show and you can't you know, do everything but to, uh, if true you could get 10 coders that can code liars and you put them in a room – and then we, we do it. They do it always like after a political debate or whatever. Was she telling – or after somebody comes out, was Anthony Weiner telling the truth about mm-hmm. this or whatever? Right. Um, would, you, would you pay $5 a month to have a lie detector code on your TV that if you clicked it, you could see lie detector indicators for how honest these people were being? Hmm. Would you – for example uh, – Hillary Clinton. I love Chipotle. Yeah. I go every week. <laughs> or uh, yesterday she was caught because she keeps saying that her grandparents are all immigrants. And it turns out only one of her four grandparents immigrated to this country. The rest were born here. But they always talked about yeah. immigration yeah. type stories. So she just assumed they or she, she always yeah. remembers them that way. That's how they her staff explained it. Yeah. But she's done this a couple times now. I mean, and, it's and it's funny because there's nothing to scrutinize with her right now because she's not saying anything, yeah, or very much, yeah. Can you imagine really little things? Yeah, but can you imagine when she? I mean, now the big thing is, did she tip? She should have tipped the the people at um, the restaurant that everyone was making such a big deal about. But then everyone's like, well, who tips there? Do, yeah. do people tip at the counter? And anyway, um, I don't. But if you could, if you could have a little lie detector number on there, hmm. would you pay five dollars a month to know? No, because the I, news and this I, Fox News is saying this, this, and this, and I assume everyone's lying. Yeah, you're, on yeah. on some level because I'm cynical. Yeah, I I assume so I, that wouldn't be a value. I assume everybody <laughs> is decent, honest people. Really, that they are. Wow. But here's the deal: like she's saying, we really are. We're just trying to bridge. We're just trying to bridge the. You got to worry about the ones that are lying intentionally. Yeah, yeah. Most people say something just, as she said, trying to make themselves look a little bit better mm-hmm. and trying to smooth over feelings and avoid confrontation, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't think you ever need to lie about your fiancé's name. No. That was just unforgivable. I, I Unforgivable. Like. Especially someone who's going to have the first dance and the keynote address. At the wedding. It's crazy. James, do you have anything to say about that in the 10 seconds we have left? Uh, just uh, that I was protecting her. Okay, right there. You just shifted your eyes. You yeah. you had a very stiff neck and stiff shoulders. You're a liar. <sighs> Caught him in another lie. And it's, that lazy eye moved around again. The lazy eye. 
Uh, good show. We're going to take a break, friends. After the break, come back, do some more news. This is the Matt Townsend Show, giving you the tools you need to uh, find the good in the world. We'll be back right after the break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side, which we explained in depth for Terry yesterday. It didn't now make sense. He was in it's his like, fourth month in the show. Kind of confusing. My father asked me if I'm getting any extra counseling on the side. Like, occasionally, oh, every day. Occasionally, I step in. Get some help. I need it. And then your wife calls, and now yeah. we're dealing with James. Hey, folks, uh, if you didn't join us in the first hour, we uh, have a new update, a new update. James Birdsall, not only getting married, but uh, we found out that he's been lying about his girlfriend's name for easily nine months now. He says he was protecting her, and I tend to believe him. Yeah, I was yeah. totally protecting her. Is that what we're calling it? Well, sure. I was protecting that one person. That's why I shot him. Well, from you. He was protecting her from you. Yeah. Me, Overexposure the, the, to <laughs> You mean this. She, he was protecting her from me, the person that will be day, doing the dance with her. Who volunteered without being asked to something that I don't think anyone wants you to do. What are you talking about? The first dance, the the keynote address. These aren't things that no, are... these are things that you always... That it's a we, two-hour event, man. They have things to accomplish that night. I know. We'll do the dance. That'll only take probably 20 minutes. It's a big dance. It's all choreographed. It's the tango. That's the longest dance? 20 minutes? It's the dance of love. It's a 20-minute... I wouldn't call it a dance, even. I'd I'd call it like a... uh, Just... Performance art? Yeah. Okay. Just an edifying, uplifting... An expression of your... Transcendent moment of the wedding. It's probably going to be highlighted as one of the biggest... Most important parts of the entire wedding festival. It's two hours. I don't. Not much of a festival. I know, but what's twenty minutes out of two hours? Then the toast. I'll do the toast. That's actually a huge portion. Twenty minutes out of the two hours. That's no. The toast is going to be a lot longer than the dance. Oh. So you're probably going to be taking up at least sixty percent of the reception in your <laughs> toast and so, keynote yeah, and probably. dance. Yeah. It's Dr. Matt Townsend featuring this reception. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want do you want a toast or don't you? I mean, hello. I've got the PowerPoint ready. I don't think there's going to be a projector, actually. No, I've got my own. I bring one. Never worry. Oh. What do you, okay. Do you think? Yeah, I'm not going to make you spend for a PowerPoint projector. Spur of the moment keynote. He just has the projector in his pocket. Bam. I've, I've got videos. I've got. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I put together a video of you two. It's, Which is creepy since you have no footage unless you gathered it yourself. Yeah. Stalking. What do you yeah, think therefore, been, why I've been protecting or tr- right. attempting to. He's yeah. hiding behind bushes, taking pictures well, of Well, whatever. Her name's Kaylee for those listeners out there. I have tried for nine months to guess her name. And they told me it started with an M. I don't remember anyone saying that it started with an M. I think you just no, assumed you did. that it was. No, you did. Because I think I once said McKaylee. 
And you went, you got all crazy. And I said, that was close. Yeah, so I started using M's. Yeah. It's Kaylee with a K. Not even an M in her name. But we'll bring that up. That'll be part of the PowerPoint. I actually have captured every name I've called her. Every name I've used. And I've got, we're going to put that, I've got a video we're going to do there. Anyway, it's exciting. Wedding of the century. Wedding of the millennium. Millennium, yeah. Still there. It's about 15 days away for those of you that are counting. Saturday, May 2nd. Yeah, 15 days, 8 hours, 9 minutes, and 30 seconds to be exact. To be exact. He also, just so you know, is registered at Amazon, Target, and Napa Auto Parts. We also accept Kohl's Cash. And they accept Kohl's Cash. And Bitcoin. And eggs. And eggs. Cute. Cute. They're a cute couple. Kaylee... And James. Okay. Uh, any Anything else going on there, Terry? Columbus, Ohio man who trained with Islamic militants in Syria has been arrested and charged with supporting terrorism and making false statements, according to the U.S. Justice Department. Hmm. In Ohio. In Ohio. Wow. They're starting to penetrate Ohio? The man's 23. He's a naturalized American citizen, so okay. he has the passport. He has been instructed by he was instructed by a Muslim cleric to return to the U.S. and carry out an act of terrorism, according to the federal indictment. So he had been away and he's back. Mohammed trains. His name is Mohammed. Actually, his name was Abderman Sheikh Mohammed. Wow. He trained with uh, the the Nusra Front. Nusra N U S R A. It's yeah. one of the offshoots of Al Qaeda. The indictment said Muhammad told associates that he wanted to go to a military base in Texas, kill three or four American soldiers, execution style. Oh, wow. So. But we got him so far. He's going to be in court this morning. Hmm. Okay. So Guess that, that's good news. That's not necessarily good news. The NBA will begin testing for HGH next season. Really? We, by the way, just put our own um, testing you know, requirements in. Here? Yeah. I didn't get that email. Oh, yeah. We're going to start testing all everybody on the Matt Townsend Show for HGH. Great. Ooh, James looks nervous. Hmm. Shifty eyes. Baseball began testing for HGH in 2013, while the NFL began testing in October. It's usually a sticking point with the uh, the unions, the players' unions, because it's a blood test. Human growth hormone, yes. and it's a blood test. And why would they care that it's a blood test? Because you're going to draw blood. Yeah. Well, uh, don't, don't they draw blood every practice? No. I mean, on each other, I mean. Well, that's different. That's okay. part of the game. So what they do is what they do, just when somebody gets a cut, you just go suck some blood out of that. Okay. And then test it. The NFL reinstates Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Remember he yeah. uh, used a switch on his boy. Yeah. His three-year-old boy, I think it was. I don't remember. But he's, a young child. So that he's back. They're so all... And he's he's been back. to classes. I'm sure he took some training. Well, they said he has to, in November, the NFL suspended him indefinitely after he played, played uh, no contest to child abuse charges. He, In a statement, the league said that it warned Peterson that he must fulfill his remaining obligations with law enforcement and with the league, including his commitment to enter counseling. There you go. I mean, we're learning. That's it. Okay. I mean, it's not ideal, but, I mean, you learn. That's how you learn. Make a mistake. You get caught. You get in trouble. You learn. Coming up next segment, we have a uh, expert to talk mm-hmm. about e-cigarettes. Yes, and are they really safe? If they're safe or not, or safer, I mm-hmm. guess is the angle we're looking at. Federal data released Thursday revealed that e-cigarette use among teenagers is sharply on the rise. 
13% of middle and high school students report using e-cigarettes last year, a figure that tripled from 2013 to 2014. Wow. The New York Times notes that increased use of e-cigarettes and hookah pipes caused an additional 400,000 young people to use tobacco products last year. However, the number of high school students who reported smoking traditional cigarettes decreased in 2014, down to 9% from 16%. The students interviewed claimed that they liked being part of a trend and enjoyed the taste of e-cigarette flavors. One student told the Times, this is gross, that the e-cigarette flavor known as unicorn puke tastes like every flavor of Skittle compressed into one. Yuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, this is the point. This is why we're talking about this. So they come in root beer flavor, bubble gum. But now watch, though. Cigarette use is going down, but e-cigarette use is going up. Yes. And um, that's... That's one of the concerns is it's it's attractive because everybody thinks it's safer than well, smoking cigarettes. At the moment, it's unregulated. Right. Because it's so new, there hasn't been any long-term testing to find out what the effects of yeah. the, so, the cigarette or the e-cigarette is. It so. might be safer than a cigarette because it doesn't have tobacco and tar and all of that. But it we don't know if it's safe and some – indications might be that it still causes similar problems in your lungs. I was listening to a podcast uh, a couple of days ago talking about the fluid in the e-cigarette called, well, some call it e-juice, which is kind of, yeah, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, which is but better than the unicorn They stuff. don't know what's in it, and it could have, you know, metal fibers, it could be mm. anything, and they and most of it is imported from overseas, and so where is the re- is there regulation for, you know, human consumption and all yeah. that? So we'll concerns. be talking about that. That's what's that's what's cool. We've got coming up after this break, um, Avram Spira or Spira is going to be joining us. He is a doctor um, that is going to from uh, Boston University School of Medicine, professor of medicine. He's going to be walking us through really what's the research say? What what do we need to watch out for? Is it really safe? Um, is it really safer than cigarette use? And what are some other things we need to watch out for? Uh, interesting thing about it is a lot of the kids that are going to vaping is what they call these e-cigs. A lot of those kids are smokers anyway. So they, you know, they might be actually getting healthier, you know, nicotine input. The problem, it also, though, might be attracting other kids to want to smoke because, you know, everyone's doing it. And man, it tastes like unicorn Skittle vomit, I guess. Hmm. Weird. Oh, the things that are going on nowadays. We'll take a break when we come back talking about the health of e-cigarettes. Are they safe or not? This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. According to the Surgeon General's report from 2014, did you know that over 20 million people have died because of some kind of connection to smoking since 1960? 20 million people have died. And the problem with smoking was that in the beginning, the health dangers weren't known. We didn't know. So everybody just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. It was a weight loss tool, for heaven's sakes, for some 
And now with the rise of e-cigarettes, scientists are asking hard questions and some are trying to slow down the industry a little bit because do we want to repeat the past? Do we want to keep promoting e-cigs and uh, and all this vaping that, that's going on without understanding the real health risks? What are the real effects of e-cigarettes? Joining us now is Dr. Avram Spira. And Dr. Spira is, uh, again, at the Boston University School of Medicine. He's a professor there in medicine and pathology and bioinformatics. He's the Alexander Graham Bell Professor of Healthcare Entrepreneurship, um, and we are so excited to have him. Dr. Spira, thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, um, in fact, and we just heard some new news as well. the New York Times just had an article that said the use of e-cigarettes and hookah pipes caused an additional 400,000 young people to use t- tobacco products last year. When it comes to vaping, when it comes to e-cigarettes, Dr. Spira, are, are they really safe? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question right now. And, and the short answer is we don't know. You know, when they came on the market about a, te- a decade ago, um, there was a lot of excitement around the product because, in theory – it should be safer than traditional cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, the product essentially heats up and, and vaporizes a liquid that contains nicotine and some flavoring, but there's no actual tobacco plant in it. And so there's a lot of excitement that this could be a product to help smokers who can't quit switch to a safer alternative. Mm-hmm. The problem is we don't have much data about safety and long-term health consequences from using a vaping products. And and the fact that young people are using it at such an alarming rate is very concerning. Well, and, and it's almost – it's a little misleading because it also comes in all of these different flavors. And so it's almost – some of them might just be smoking it for the flavor. I mean the CDC report that came out yesterday and was reported in the New York Times is alarming because of exactly that. You know, there's a tripling of the rate of middle school and high school kids using this product. And part of that relates to the marketing. Uh, from Big Tobacco, who make most of the electronic cigarettes. Mm. And, and the flavoring is specifically targeted for younger people. There's bubblegum flavor uh. for, you know, uh, out there now. And this is, as you said at the very beginning, this parallels or mirrors 30 years ago what was happening with regular cigarettes. And it's very, very scary to know we could be repeating the same story over again. Well, and because... And Again, without the tobacco in it, without um, the tar and all of those other byproducts that were in a cigarette, um, it, they're still just the, the function of having um, vapor. I mean, are are we is our are our lungs supposed to be internalizing vapor on a regular basis? Is our is our throat is that healthy for us? Just that. Yeah, I, I recently gave a talk to uh, to a school where I, I went exactly there and said. We, our bodies, our lungs haven't evolved over years to handle inhaling a burnt vapor. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. Uh, Whether it contains tobacco products or contains some nicotine and flavoring, in the end of the day, inhaling smoke directly into your lungs, without a doubt, is going to cause some degree of damage to the cells that line your airway. Now, I do think tobacco product itself contains known carcinogens, Mm -hmm. known cancer-causing agents, and we know that causes cancer and emphysema and other diseases. We simply don't know with electronic cigarettes, but there should be enough concern that we should be doing the studies to be sure it's safe before we, you know, market this to kids. Yeah. And and 
I mean, 20 million people, 20 million people over since 1960 have died because of causes connected to cigarette smoking. Is there, is it just so pushed by the industry or is it just such a demand? Well, I, I actually think it's both. So I do think the industry has made a very aggressive attempt to market, you know, initially regular tobacco products, all the billboards, all the ads and magazines, targeting women, targeting all types of ethnic groups. And now you're seeing a very similar campaign being waged by them for electronic cigarettes. On the flip side, there is demand because the product, both products, contain nicotine. Mm -hmm. And nicotine is a highly addictive agent. And that's the concern about young kids starting electronic cigarettes, is they will get hooked. And nicotine interacts with receptors in your brain. It's highly addictive. And I take care of a lot of people who smoked for many, many years. And they started before they knew it was bad for them. And it's very difficult for them to quit. It's an incredibly challenging thing. And so it, it, that, that number, 20 million, it's, it's both a very aggressive marketing campaign combined with the fact that there's an addictive substance in, in the product. Yeah. Is there, any, is there any understanding or any research that's come out on secondhand uh, vapor that, is, that comes from being around somebody that's vaping or using an e-cig? Uh, absolutely none right now. And okay. I mean, there's so little data right now on vaping itself. So yeah. primary inhaling vapor, we have, it's a great question. We have no idea the potential health consequences of secondhand exposure. And as a result, we need to figure out as a society how to regulate where people vape. Hmm. Uh, and as you know, we've recently, I think on a public health level, had a lot of progress in terms of limiting secondhand cigarette smoke exposure in public areas. I believe very, very strongly until we understand the health consequences of the new product, we need to regulate exposure in public. I think the same types of regulations should apply to electronic cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, that people are smoking other types of cigarettes um, and other types of herbs and other types of – but if, if, if there was really a fire or smoke coming out of the end of the cigarette, we'd regulate it like crazy even if it was supposedly a different thing other than tobacco. But it's so weird because these, uh, these e-cigs, you have to recharge the battery. The ba and, you know, the, a lot of times they'll have a USB port so you can recharge it with a USB. So now all of a sudden your cigarette's somehow connected to your computer. I mean, there's almost something psychological about it. You know, instead of just having a plug in the wall to do it, you actually can charge it from your laptop. And I just sit there and I think... What great marketing. This is not the old cigarette. This is a healthy – it's just a cloud. It's a cloud of love and unicorn Correct. vomit. I mean it's, it's like so it's, – it's weird. It's, it, and, and no, with, I, I love the way you just packaged it because I actually agree. I think this is the, the new generation's product. It's electronic. Every kid knows how to work an iPad, yeah. a computer, charge up their phone. This product – fits extremely well with this generation's uh, routine. And, you know, I, I, it's very, very concerning. That's why when the CDC report came out yesterday that we've tripled the number of high school and middle school kids using the product, 13%, um, far more than use regular tobacco products. Uh, that just tells you how effective the strategy mm. you just outlined is with this, gen this newer generation of, of, uh, of kids. And so... It's not also just nicotine. I mean, because now you can't you get in certain states, you could get liquid marijuana, right? Right, and and vaporize that. I'm assuming. And, right, it, it, and, and and I think 
and I think your point is well taken, that it isn't, you know, it's considered a nicotine delivery device. When it was initially developed a decade ago, actually in China by a pharmacist, it was meant as a way of delivering nicotine for folks who wanted to quit regular tobacco products, similar to a nicotine patch or nicotine gum. But what's happened over the last decade is the product has evolved, and there's additional things put into the liquid. So, for example, flavoring, including tobacco flavoring, um, when you burn that, you produce chemicals that are unforeseen. So a recent study about a year ago shows that they could measure carcinogenic metals, so metals that cause cancer, at levels in the vapor that exceed those that we see with regular cigarettes. Wow. Yeah, and, and where those metals come from, whether it's from burning some of these flavoring or poor manufacturing, and this is another issue yeah. that was in the New York Times about three, four months ago, the fact that 95% of these products are made in China under almost no regulatory or manufacturing supervision. And so the product itself may contain many things in it that we know nothing about. Mm. And it's and it's heated up. It's burnt. It's, ah, the tangled web. It's, 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 as a, I'm a lung doctor, and it is absolutely shocking that, the, that after 30 years of progress, that the public health community has made in the battle against tobacco. I mean, just the rates of smoking in this country have plummeted from 40 to 50% of adults to under 20% smoke every day. And that's a huge, huge victory. It's not perfect, but it is a tremendous advance. To see us now move into another product and go so quickly there without understanding its health consequences is just shocking. Oh, it totally is. And and I think, too, it's it's also telling that you know, you're, if you're going to cut out my money from tobacco, then I'm just going to reinvest it and find another way to make my money. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Avram Spira. He is going to – we're going to come back, talk more to him. He's from Boston University School of Medicine. For heaven's sakes, folks, he works with the lungs every day. He knows what he's doing. He's a professor of medicine and pathology, and uh, he's recommending we slow down. I mean, there are – you know, there's – there. There is a benefit, I guess, if you are smoking tobacco to move to an e-cig. That, I guess, makes sense. The problem is that may not be the, the real issue here. We're actually promoting more and more of our teens to start smoking by getting into uh, vaping and e-cigs. We'll come back, talk more about this right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we wanted to uh, to get a better look at what's going on with e-cigarettes, vaping. You may have pulled up in your car, looked over to the person next to you. You see him, you know, puffing, sucking, I guess, on a little metal device. Next thing you know, they're blowing out an immense amount of vapor. They're smoking, my friend. The new cigarette. And boy, even to make it more exciting to the user, you know, the tip could even light up a weird green color or a blue color. Wow. What's that guy smoking? The problem, friends, is uh, now that we've kind of taken 20% of the smokers, I mean, so it used to be that 40% of the population were smokers. It's now in all of the anti-smoking efforts gone down to 20%. 
But now the new data is showing that these young people are picking up more and more tobacco products than ever before. 400,000 young people have started using tobacco products, I guess, last year because of the e-cigarette and the hookah pipes that are becoming so popular. Joining us on the phone is Avram Spira, Dr. Avram Spira. He is at Boston University School of Medicine. He's a professor of medicine and pathology and bioinformatics. His, his basic position is, from what I'm hearing, is we need to slow down and understand what's really happening physiologically. And are these things dangerous before we start uh, just, you know, mass marketing them uh, nationwide, even worldwide? Is that, your, is that basically your position, Dr. Spira? Uh, that's exactly my position. I mean, if you look back 30 years ago when folks started to smoke regular tobacco products um, in large numbers – if we had the data then that we have now, knowing the health consequences, one would hope that that individual that's picking up their first cigarette at age 18, 19, or 16 would have a second thought and say, wait, this is going to cause lung cancer 20 years from now, emphysema 15 years from now, heart disease 10 years from now. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't start. All I'm saying is if we have, people have a right to do what they choose. If someone decides to eat badly, not exercise and smoke, that's their right. At a minimum, though, our society owes that person information, knowledge about the potential consequences of the behaviors that they choose to follow. Hmm. And I think we need some time to get that scientific data around this new electronic cigarette product so that users can make informed decisions about the impact on their own health. What do you think about a current user, Dr. Spira, somebody that's currently you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day? Is it is it? Do you still think we should go slow before recommending the e-cig? Or for that smoker, right. should we just get them into the e-cig so they're not well, using a real you know, tobacco product, I guess? And that's the one area. I think that's a critical setting where perhaps, even with the lack of data, I would, as a physician, support a regular smoker where we know the health consequences are dramatic to switch to a product that in all likelihood is safer. And I, I use the word safer, not safe. Probably has fewer health consequences than regular tobacco products, but is unlikely to be completely safe. Mm-hmm. So it's the only way for that individual to stop regular tobacco products is to switch to this one. Actually, that was the original intent for this product, and I, I would endorse that. Yeah. The problem is what you're seeing, and what that New York Times paper was all about was the fact that it's a gateway product. Folks who've never smoked before are picking it up as their first product mm-hmm. and becoming addicted. And that's, you know, that's the biggest concern right now. And it might be a lot of the teenagers that were, I think the research shows that, that the teenagers that are using e-cigs initially, they were smoking anyway, right? So weren't they already smoking? So now they're using this really cool device that lights up and glows and all of these other things. But their friends that maybe have never smoked are now being around that and, and being influenced by that. Exactly. And one of the scariest things about smoking behavior in general, and, and this is true for regular tobacco and I'm sure will be true for electronic cigarettes, most people start the behavior when they're young. So if you, I have a lot of patients, and if you ask them, when did you start smoking? Inevitably, it's sometime in their teenage years or early 20s. Hmm. It's hard to find a 60-year-old guy with emphysema or heart disease who tells you he started smoking in his mid-40s. Yeah. We don't see that very often. The behavior starts very early in life. The dependency, the neurochemical changes in the brain, it's very, very dangerous at a young age. 
And that's my major concern with this product, is it really, in the end of the day, while it may help older smokers switch to a safer product, it is being marketed and being used by young people. And, and that's not where we want to see this product being used. Well, and, and I think, like you mentioned, and I read in um, the article that you were cited so much in, it, it's um, smoking a cigarette has almost reached a level in the last maybe 10 years of being that something that's almost kind of antisocial. It makes you smell. It makes you. It colors your teeth. It colors your fingers. It does all of these different things that made you kind of an outcast. But now we have this device that makes social or smoking, or at least some intake of nicotine. It smells good, man. You smell like Skittles. All right, and, and and that is the most dangerous part of the marketing strategy. The fact that tobacco companies are renormalizing smoking mm. behavior. In fact, they've changed the word. It's no longer smoking; it's vaping. Yes, how cool because is that? Smoking is socially unacceptable. How yeah. cool is it to vape? <laughs> and that word, I promise you, uh, some marketing genius yeah. came up with, and it is very cool and very hip. And kids are going to jump on it. And it's unfortunate, as I said, because it's taken us thirty years to get the message out about regular tobacco to make that behavior socially unacceptable. And now we have a new product that essentially sets the clock back. It's, it's uh, just uh, hard to imagine. Oh, yeah. Is it, it is a gateway drug. It's also seemingly a gateway mechanism. I, I'm assuming you're, the, you're a doctor. I'm assuming we could pretty much put any liquid in that, cocaine, meth, anything in there we could make liquid, couldn't we, and have it just be a delivery tool. Absolutely. And this is what's happening with the product. This is maybe the scariest aspect of the product evolution. As I said, initially it was just nicotine in a liquid, a nicotine delivery device. They started adding flavoring, including flavoring to target young folks mm -hmm. like bubblegum. And then they started adding additional things. And now we have what we call third-generation electronic cigarette products, where the user can input any liquid they want into the device and burn it. Oh, man. So exactly what you said. This opens up the gateway to many other substances that should not be inhaled, especially by kids. Well, caffeine. And, I mean, liquid caffeine is already out on the market, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the point of this is a lot of these substances, when you burn them, we don't understand the chemicals that are produced. Yeah. Nor do we understand the impact of those chemicals on the airway and the lung. And so it's very, very scary to know that a whole generation now is going to be inhaling a whole bunch of burnt substances that we know very little about. I mean, really, and that's to me, to you, as as somebody that works in with lungs and as a, I guess, in the kind of the area of pulmonology, it's it really is. It's the burning. It's it's the outcome of what we don't know that, that we need to pay attention to. But wait till the day that we're like, hey, so do you want protein supplements? Yeah, just yeah, you just vape them. Just stick it in there. Yeah. Did you get exactly. your ginseng, honey? Smoke your ginseng. Right, <laughs> vape right. your ginseng. It's, right, and medications of all kinds oh, yeah. inhaled one day. So, so you know, there are potential positives in terms of delivering agents via an inhaled route. In fact, we deliver some medications. Yeah, you know, albuterol for, for the asthmatic, right. yeah. Correct. So there, but those don't get burnt. We're not burning a substance. We know exactly the chemical composition of what's being inhaled. It's been studied in animals and in humans for years before the FDA approves regular use by everyday people. Hmm. That's all I'm arguing for. Let's put this e-cigarette and anything that's stuck into it in the same regulatory framework. That's, I mean, it really is powerful. And, and just, I mean, the visual of the little asthmatic boy that can't breathe, that's 
vaping non-burnt um, vapors of albuterol to open his lungs up, that symbol with then a kid smoking an e-cig that's burnt with whatever other chemicals in it. I mean, it's it's such a weird – the kid that wants to breathe and then the, the kid that might be making it hard to breathe for the rest of his life. Correct. And one of the great ironies as a society is the, the kid with albuterol, the amount of regulation the FDA and society puts on the pharmaceutical industry, and it's appropriate, yeah. but it's a heavy degree of regulatory burden to prove that that product that's being inhaled, that medicine to help that patient, isn't harmful in any way. And the years and money it takes for the pharmaceutical company to get that product approved, that the opposite has happened with electronic cigarettes. There is very little regulatory framework. No one's really asking these questions, and no one's forcing those companies to do the research and demonstrate the safety of their product before introducing it into the right. population. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. The FDA is, I mean, you, you have to do everything to protect, you know, a medical device, but we just are throwing these out there, and yet millions of millions of more people are going to be doing it. What would you say, um, Dr. Spira, it, it, just to the average parent um, whose kid, you know, might you may have caught him with a little vape or a little e-cigarette in their pocket. What, what message do you just want clear to that parent that they could maybe go teach their kid? I think there'd be two main messages. The first is we don't know the potential harmful effects long-term of inhaling a burnt substance, whatever the liquid contains. It hasn't been studied in animals or in humans. And in all likelihood, there'll be some harmful effects, even if they're not as severe as with regular tobacco. And they will only manifest years from now. And, and it'd be very unfortunate to allow your son or daughter to start a behavior like that that's going to harm them long term. And the second thing I would say, and maybe equally important, is at a minimum what we do know for certain today is that product has the potential to addict your son or daughter because of the nicotine. Hmm. We know that nicotine's in the product at a minimum. And nicotine is a highly addictive substance. And I don't think many parents in this country would want their 14, 15, 16-year-old son or daughter to begin a behavior that's highly addictive. It, it changes the neurochemical balance in their brain and makes them dependent on the substance potentially for the rest of their life. So true. So true. Dr. Avram Spiro, we so appreciate you. Uh, and uh, continue the research. Continue your work with the National Institute of Health and... Um, you know, that early detection of lung cancer. Folks, he's a pro. He's a pulmonologist, for heaven's sakes. This is his specialty. we got to teach our kids. We don't know what's going on, and we don't want to take the risk of getting them addicted on a highly addictive, um, highly, highly addictive, and potentially dangerous, you know, fun, unicorn-laced drug. <laughs> This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Trying to give you the tools to live through this crazy life. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hey, we're the monkeys. That's a cool tune. That brings back uh, good old memories. Uh, speaking of memories, you know, movies. That tends to bring back some uh, some great thoughts and movies as well. Uh, one movie, Mel Co- or uh, Mall Cop, Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2. 
You know, if you loved Paul Blart, the Mall Cop 1, I guess, you're going to love Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2, I'm sure. Well, maybe not. Let's actually go to the pro. Joining us right now, Rod Gustafson's here uh, on the line with us. In um, He's from parentpreviews.com. They're, they are an organization that's there to help you parents figure out what media, you know, your kids should be going to, what movies we should be seeing. And uh, he always walks us through the new releases. Man, Rod, I'm not hearing great things about Paul Blart 2. Is, what's, what's your take <laughs> on all that? Well, I, you know what, Matt? I'm going to surprise you this morning. Oh, yeah? As I was sitting through my screening of Paul Blart, 15, 20 minutes in, I'm thinking, <laughs> I, you know, this is pretty lame. But... I noticed that in my particular audience, and and I need to mention, Paul Blart, this movie is rated PG, which is unusual. We get very few PG-rated movies, live-action movies these days, especially movies that involve any sort of, you know, action type of scenario. And um, and so I had 10, 12-year-old kids, some families in my screening. The kids were loving this. Were they, they laughing? They were enjoying it. They were laughing. They thought it was funny. And I thought for a moment, if this was 1967 and I was sitting in a theater watching a Disney movie with Don Knott, <laughs> I'd be laughing. I would have been about eight years, well, no, actually only six years old back in 67. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, we would, have, we would have thought that was funny. And when I think about movies like The Shakiest Gun in the West and, uh, you know, some of those old funny Don Knotts movies, it, in some ways, this is what Kevin James is doing. Yeah. And what's interesting, now this movie's coming from Adam Sandler is one of the producers. So, I mean, this definitely is coming from a group of people who know how to create edgy, sexually laced humor, violent humor, all of that type of stuff. So it's not like they don't know how to do this. I think that they are actually trying to build out a franchise here that's going to appeal to families and to and to tweens and teens who, you know, whose parents are tired of, you know, what can they send these kids to that's going to be fun but isn't going to be full of sexual content, isn't going to have a ton of language and violence. Well, welcome to Paul Blart too. And when I suddenly, when I took the Don Knotts perspective, yeah. it wasn't a bad film. I mean, believe me, this isn't going to <laughs> this isn't going to win an award. I'm sure the Razzies will have at it. Probably. I I checked this morning. It's got a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes so far. Out of the fifteen, they only have fifteen reviews counted because the studio did not pre-screen this for critics, which is always a bad sign. I went, I lined up and went to see it at an early showing last night, but. When you when you look at this though from that, think back to those crazy old corny Disney movies that now are sitting on many family shelves, and we love and enjoy watching them over and over. That's essentially what you've got here. I love that paradigm of the Don Knotts kind of paradigm because really those were still you know they they were goofy and funny, but it was just kind of slapstick, and you didn't Mm -hmm. expect a lot out of it. Yeah, no, you didn't, and and that is exactly. Don't expect a lot out of this, but it does have its moments. The other thing I did like about this movie, there's there's some positive messages for families in here too. He he has a relationship 
um, with his daughter. That's quite a, 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 it's a positive relationship. He's very protective of her because it's part of the whole joke that he's the security cop at a mall, you know, and so he's quite protective of his daughter. His daughter has just discovered that she has been accepted into UCLA and, uh, but he, she doesn't even want to reveal this to him because she knows that he's going to tell her that she can't go. They live in New Jersey, and he's going to feel like this is way too far away. But what happens in this movie is he winds up going to the security uh, workers' convention in Vegas, and they really poke <laughs> fun of the security guard industry. There's some, there's some good-natured humor in that. Yeah. But what happens is that, of course, they're staying at the big Wynn Hotel and Resort, and by the way, huge product placement for this hotel. It's, it's like a big advertisement for the resort. But that's where they're staying, and of course, there's a bad guy that gets involved, and there's some, and, and Paul Blart, we know he's going to save the day at the end of this. But there's a good relationship between the, him and his daughter. There's also some positive messages about body image. Um, the, the Blarts are bigger people, as Paul Blart says, and his daughter's <laughs> a bigger girl, too. But she, th- this is never played as being, you know, so often we get bigger people in movies, and they're the, I, I, you're going to laugh when I say this, they're the comic relief, but there are other yeah. security guards at this convention, like Paul Blart, who are just as silly as he is. So this isn't a matter of picking on big people. And in fact, this is actually, there's a positive message there about body image that I really appreciated too. So this isn't the lost case that the movie critics think it Mm, is. Good. Well, and I guess too, if you want more PG movies, you need to, you know, go to PG movies. It seems like we could promote more PGs by just, you know, taking our kids to something like this in the trailer my kids watched the trailer and they were laughing just from the trailer and the horse scene i mean it's well yes (laughs) yes and i mean it and and you'll have to wait for that horse scene right near the end of the movie oh is it what what you need to and that's exactly it matt you know as i sat there in the theater and we call this in the industry it's called um i've heard some people refer to it as audience momentum where, you know, the audience will start convincing the critic that, hey, maybe this isn't such a bad film after all. But as I heard these kids laughing, I thought, you know, suddenly I realized if I was 10 years old, I'd be laughing more than I am. Yeah. And that maybe that's what they're doing with this is this is a junior Adam Sandler. And I am no fan of Adam Sandler movies, but I do appreciate the fact that he and some other people have put money into making this one. And uh, I think it works quite good for that younger audience and even adults. I've sat through far more painful movies than this one. Oh, sure. Well, and over the weekend, we we had to decide. My kids are like, let's go to Fast and Furious 7. And they're young. They're a 10 and a 12-year-old. And I'm like – and then we watched the Paul Blart trailer and I thought – Ah, why wasn't why? Let's go to that. Let's go to that. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's a better it's a better choice. You got a PG choice. Let's let's maybe honor that. Now there was another movie out, Monkey Kingdom. Disney put that out. Yeah. Um, talk about that. This is kind of an interesting thing. I guess it goes back to uh, the bear, like the the one they did on the bears. Yes, yes. And this all started a few years ago. This is Disney's annual Disney Nature release. They release it to coincide roughly with the timing of Earth Day. 
Some of these documentaries have been very good. This one is disappointing, and not disappointing because of content. I mean, we're giving this overall an A minus. We're being quite generous to it because, I mean, you know, if your kids like watching monkeys hop around on the screen and whatnot, they'll have a good time with it. But what I didn't appreciate is this need to project a human story onto these animals. Um, and this has been happening uh, incrementally with each of these Disney nature films. They're, they're starting to get more worried about creating a funny little dramatic story with animals than actually doing an animal documentary. Mm. And, uh, and this one involves a, a little female monkey who's essentially a single mom growing up and raising her child in the project who in the end, you know, marries the handsome prince and gets the castle, you know? And, and you think, oh, come on, guys. We really don't need to project yeah. all of these Western ideas and everything else onto these monkeys, but that's where it goes. Having said that, you know, if, you're, if your kids like these wildlife documentaries, they'll probably enjoy this one, too. Really, the biggest issue in it is there's some animal violence. We do see some blood. We do have a monkey that gets killed. So... You know, be prepared with younger kids, and they may be sad in a couple of parts. But otherwise, you know, they'll probably enjoy watching the monkeys. Do how do these do in the box office? Do the do these sell? Do people do these make money? They've done reasonably well in the past. You know, they're they're kind of in the middle. They pay the bills uh, every. Um, Every uh, what I think it's the first week that the admissions they put a lot of money towards some environmental cause for the first mm. week that the movie is over. But then past that, um, no, I think the money goes into Disney's pockets. Now to give you an idea, bears. I'm just clicking here quickly. Seventeen point seven million dollars lifetime growth. I thought it was higher. Than wow. So That's frankly, not, yeah. you know, it didn't do that well, and the Bears one was quite popular. I heard a lot of people talking about Interesting. it. Interesting. So, so yeah, yeah, no, they these are not these are not huge money making movies. And I I would assume like the cinematography, of course, is incredible. Yeah. But you know, I would assume that these things, I, if you watch the credits, there's a little bit of a making up thing going on in the credits. And I think they mentioned that they were shooting for 18 months or something. That's hmm. a long time. So That's a lot and, of money, uh, too. This one, yeah, and this one's got a lot more human involvement to it. Like, they set up where the monkeys go into a city, and they find a birthday party that's all ready to go in this house, and the parents and the kids have left to go somewhere. So the monkeys come in, and they, they just rip apart the house and wreck the birthday <laughs> cake. Well, of course, this is all set up. That's what monkeys do. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Well, that's, you and know what, you it's... Learn, you, it, Oh, go ahead. You learn very little about the monkeys, is, was my biggest complaint. Well, and that's also narrated by Tina Fey. So, there's, you know, you'd think it'd be funny, but it's, but it yeah, is, it's contrived, yeah. right? Because it's not. Yeah, it, it very much is. It's an it's inner like, city monkey family. That's, it's just weird that it's, it's all about, you know, per, they're going to release it on Earth Day, and yet we're so westernizing it into some, I don't know, that's interesting. What do you say? What do you say, Rod? Well, um, we appreciate you being on the show, Rod, and we appreciate the great work you're doing there at Parent Previews. Suggest, again, everybody go check out parentpreviews.com. It's your resource, a great resource as a, as a parent to figure out what media to be taking your children to. We're going to take a break and uh, you know get a little news update from the BBC. When we come back next hour, tons of good stuff to help you, again, see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, the show where we uh, we go out, search out the experts, the pros you need to help you live a better life. It's one thing to just listen to the news, but half the time you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do with that? So we'll go find uh, some experts, give you the tools, a leg up in this crazy thing called life. We got another show, one hour. Plus, later in the show, we're going to talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation. That's always interesting. Find out what's going on there. I'm sure we'll hear more about uh, the James Birdsall wedding. It's still on, right, James? Still on. Okay. Found out uh, Kaylee Taylor is her name. He's marrying. A, he's marrying a wonderful woman named Kaylee Taylor. She has no idea what she's getting into. Emphasis on wonderful. Emphasis on wonderful woman. <laughs> um, uh, forever, I called her. You know, every name under the book because I didn't have her name, and now I have her name, Kaylee, and I'm going to use it all the time for the next 15 days. Is that all right, James? Yeah, well, until her name is no longer Kaylee Taylor. When her name is Kaylee is she Taylor gonna, Is she going to hyphenate? Birdsall. I don't think so. I talked to her. I, I, I suggested she should. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I didn't. You're, you probably suggested to have her uh, also include your name. So it would be like Kaylee Taylor Bert, hyphen Birdsall hyphen Townsend. Actually, what I suggested is she just name it after the show. <laughs> Kaylee... <laughs> Matt Townsend show, birds all. Would that be hyphened? Matt yes, hyphen yeah. Townsend. And I'd want quotes, air qu- I mean, like quotations around it. And I'd want it bolder. I'd want the Matt Townsend show to be bolder than the rest of the name. How do you control the typeface on somebody's name? I want I want it controlled on everything. On on her driver's license, I want the Matt Townsend show to be bolded on her driver's license. So somehow you make not only. Uh, the name part of her mm-hmm. legal, but you also make the typeface like it has yeah. to be yeah. bold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's wow. Common. People. I didn't that. know you could do that. Oh yeah, people do it all the time. Yeah, that's gonna be a weird name. It is. It's Kaylee, a lot of work. Too. Matt, the Matt Townsend Show. Birds all. And she can get rid of birds all. She doesn't need to go all the way. Yeah. She so just it's just wants... gonna be Kaylee, the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah. Or brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. That'd be the the middle name. Yeah. Brought to you by. It's a, I mean, it's just a thought, but whatever. You okay, Terry? You seem angry. No. You sure? Just, you know, here. <laughs> just happy to be here. Yes. Um, you, you've been researching a lot of news stories. Yes. I'm noticing in some of the, the – the, where you're pulling the news stories, there's a lot of typos. I need to look into that, don't yeah, I? you might want to – I'm just reading along. I'm like, these people don't know how to spell. Just get a spell corrector. I mean, I think you've got spell well, correct on your... I, th- I throw it into Google Documents. Yeah. It has spell checking in it. But if you so. spell a word so wrong yeah. that the spell checker mix misses it, then, then it's over. What are you going to do? Google Docs struggle sometimes, though. I was writing a, a paper the other day, and I wrote the word verb, and it said it was wrong. <laughs> Right-clicked yeah. on it, and it said, did you mean V-U-R-B? It's like... <laughs> Huh? No. No, it's not what I wanted. What's I a did? verb? <laughs> so yes, I will proofread better. Yeah, whatever. Today That's is it. National Blah 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 Day. <gasps> My favorite day. Is it really? Yes. Blah blah blah. Like just yada yada yada. No. Well, how does That's, blah blah? That's what I thought it was. Because yeah, I usually it? say blah 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 just to yeah. you know whatever you're saying somehow isn't important. So how did it earn a day? What's, well, what does it mean? National Blah 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 Day is a day dedicated to finishing those things that you haven't accomplished yet 
Oh. So I'm not sure what blah, blah, blah comes through. But the idea of, you know, you have a list. Mm -hmm. There's a to-do list. I think what it comes down to is, as a guy, sometimes I have a list and my wife goes, did you get your list done? And I say no. And then she asks again. And no. And then after a while, all I, all I hear, it it's kind of her list okay. that she gave to me. Did you get my list done? And in my head, I hear blah, 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 because I know what she's going to say. So <laughs> yeah. that's where this that's came from. That's where this came from. A man put this together, I think. Okay. This is interesting. And this is the honeydew list. So whether, as it says, whether it's a light bulb, the invites, or a forgotten New Year's resolution, get going. Today's your day to complete it. Hmm. So we don't want to make it sound like your wife is going to make a list and then you're going to ignore her because that's kind of like what that sounded like when she's talking right. about the list. You ignore we don't want James to think that that's how that goes. That's how it works after but, a while. Well, you don't want – no. Let's just pretend. He's oh, right there. He's right. listening. Let's just pretend like that's not how that happens. Okay. My wife doesn't make me a list. Oh, she does. She just – she doesn't ask about it. She just – like whenever we're walking out, she just kind of points to it. Yeah. Do that. Subtly. Oh like – that yeah. would sure be great. That would, oh, that would be so but great. It's that feeling of, all right, all right, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's so cool. you get that list accomplished today. Congratulations. That's I good. don't know why today's the day. but Happy blah, blah, blah day. Today's the day. Found this last night. Added to my, I guess, experiencing all things that uh, people, some people don't care about. But the Planetary Defense Conference is a meeting of scientists and engineers and policymakers who don't want to be crushed by asteroids currently taking place in Italy. Okay. So these are very smart individuals. Yes. Um, apparently a little um, neurotic. Could be. Fearful of meteors. Yes. Asteroids crushing down on them and killing them. Yes, which could happen. Every once in a while you hear about – they call it a near miss, and they talk about how the millions of light years they were away from Earth. Yeah. But this one's closer, and it's still yeah. millions of light years away. So these people are—they're worried about that, and they're—they're yes. they're meeting. Because what happens if a meteor, the size that they call them planet killers or yeah. whatever, yeah. that's coming in, and what do we do about it? Well, you, what steps does the world need to take to address that issue, or do we just let it happen and I say goodbye? I just watch it with all of its majestic. Just watch it come on in and, and then, booyah, crash. The game over. Well, what they're doing, it looks like uh, most other scientific conferences. You've been to those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're fun. They're energetic. They're mm. full of all kinds of... Mm. Mm, okay. So, so this one might be different, though. It says, over the course of five days, they have a, a game, that they an Asteroids war game that they, they, they I play. I used to play Asteroids. Not that kind of game. Okay. It says, over the course of five days, the conference attendees play out an Asteroid scenario that in real-world terms would last about seven years. For the game, the scientists have until 2022 to figure out a way to save the Earth wow. from an incoming asteroid. So you have seven years, an asteroid's coming, it's dead set on crushing, destroying the Earth, fix it. Some of the solutions, do you detonate a nuke in the proximity of the asteroid, mm. which would, as they described, vaporize a portion of it, but then use that force and push it away. possibly off course. Okay, okay. Because you can't shoot the asteroid. It would break into pieces, and then you have five asteroids that are going to hit the Earth. Yes. Cause a bigger problem. Or do you develop and fire a space-based laser cannon from an orbiting satellite? (laughs) That one sounds pretty cool to me. I like that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Let's do it. Um, But you'd have to actually develop the space satellite laser and get it up there. Um, Interesting. And also convince the world that you're not going to turn it back towards the Earth, towards Earth and, and hold everyone it. hostage. Right. Yeah. 
It's like the Justice League comics, but that's different. Wow. So my question to you, have you ever been, Matt, to yes. a scientific conference? Yeah, I have. That dealt with anything close to being interesting like that? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> but I have dealt with therapy sessions that sounded just like that. Well, okay. I understand. With people that were just that neurotic. The funny thing about that is the day we need that, we're going to be like, where's that one group of really crazy yeah, Where are those that... guys? And they'll have all these answers. Sounds like they went on a vacation to Italy and they're talking amongst friends. Yeah, about... I've never had an exciting, you know, that exciting. It's sad. It's sad? It's sad. I need a better, I need a life. But that's why I, that's why I make up for it when I go to weddings, when I speak at weddings, when I do PowerPoint presentations as I do my toast. That's why the Birds All Wedding and Kaylee, the Matt Townsend show, is going to be such a great wedding. In other news, oh, researchers have found out the uh, the adage of an apple a day keeps a doctor away. Uh-huh. It's true, but it's not necessarily because of the apple. It's because you're not eating other things. Okay. You're consuming apples, and, this, and what they found is they concluded that people who consume apples daily were not less likely to stay overnight at a hospital or visit a mental health professional, but they were likely to use fewer prescription medicines. Hold it. I thought that that was an Apple product, so I've been using my Apple products every yes. day. It's not buy an Apple product a day. It's buy an, or eat an apple a day. Oh, man. It's fruit, not your phone. It's cost me thousands of dollars. I imagine. And I got that totally wrong. That's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Okay, that's good news. Apple a day keeps the doctor. Actually, it keeps the Cheetos away. And if you keep the Cheetos away, then you're not going to die of heart disease. So that'll keep the doctor away. Interesting news, folks. That's, by the way, news you don't get anywhere else on Earth. Unless you're at that interstellar conference to blow up meteors. Hey, coming up next, do you think, have you ever had the idea that, oh, yeah, once we get married, we won't have those problems? James, this one's for you. Uh, we have a great researcher coming up that's going to be joining us, Dr. Justin Lavner. Uh, he's going to be teaching us the fact that, you know, conflict in relationships, it doesn't seem to just go away. It remains fairly steady. So if you're dating right now and you think, yeah, once we're married, that problem will go away. The research actually doesn't bear that out. We're going to be talking to him about conflict in marriage and your marital satisfaction because of it. Interesting new research that's out. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back talking about conflict right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you've ever heard somebody say, oh, you know, you know, everything will get better once we're married. Our problems will go away once we're married, right? Or um, a lot of times there's been an assumption where if you are having marital problems, you're obviously not, it's going to get worse and worse. You're not going to like each other at all because you have these marital problems. But uh, there's some interesting new research out by Dr. Justin Lavner who is an assistant professor in the clinical program at the University of Georgia. And his research suggests that maybe neither of these thoughts are true. And so we're going to be picking his brain about uh, problems in your marriage and uh, your marriage satisfaction. Dr. Justin uh, Lavner, is it Lavner or Lavner, Justin? Uh, Lavner. Lavner. 
We appreciate you being here. I love this uh, research because it's it's dispelling a few myths that uh, we tend to hold about our our problems in marriage. Talk about the research with us. Yeah, so thanks uh, thanks for having me on. You and, bet. Um, you're exactly right. It, it does dispel some of the myths. So um, so what we do in our research is we get couples really soon after they get married, so kind of within six months of their wedding. And then we're interested in understanding how their marriages change over time. So we study them repeatedly over time. So they come back uh, and fill out questionnaires every six months or so for the first four years of marriage. Uh, and the reason we focus on that early period is because we know that's actually the riskiest time. So it's yeah. a big change for a lot of couples. Uh, it's actually when divorce rates are at their peak. Um, so that's kind of why we focus on this, uh, this early period of marriage. And so what we did in this study was we had uh, people fill out questionnaires about how satisfied they were every six months and also uh, their problems every six months as well. And what this was, it was a measure that had 19 different domains of problems, so things like children or religion or making decisions, uh, jealousy, trust. Uh, and we looked at how much uh, people said th- those things were a problem for them uh, at each of those times. So we had eight different assessments of that over the first four years of marriage. And so what we found is that satisfaction declined on average, and that's a, a very kind of common finding in the marital literature is that um, as people are married for a longer period of time, their satisfaction tends to go down a little bit. But the surprising part was that we found that uh, problems as satisfaction were declining were actually remaining stable. Huh. Uh, and so that kind of was, it was surprising for a few things. So one, people tend to think that their problems are going to get better, as you said. Um, but on the other, it also was surprising that satisfaction was declining even as um, problems were stable. So that was also kind of didn't seem um, to be what we would expect either. So you know, here it's a very middle-of-the-road position, so they're not getting better, but they're also not necessarily getting worse. So is there not then, I guess, a correlation between the amount of problems you have and your satisfaction in your marriage? So there is still a correlation between those. So kind okay. of in general, if you have more uh, problems, then you tend to be less satisfied. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't actually mean that they're changing in the exact same way. Right. So it still ends up being the case that the people who are less satisfied have more problems, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, they, that their problems actually increased over time. Have you in your research, Justin, ever found a couple that had no problems? No, I mean, so every, every couple has at least, has at least some go. problems. I mean, so right there's uh, another myth dispelled because we, right, we, yes, you know, right. we think it's just going to all go away. But it, problems don't necessarily go away by getting married. You know, it, it, that's, a, that's a good lesson as well, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I think on the one hand, it's kind of the, the lesson is that, um, that they don't go away just because you're married, right? And so I think there does tend to be this kind of hope or this assumption uh, that things will just kind of magically get better. And, and some of the other research we've done, actually, we, we actually asked people right when they got married, um, how do you think your feelings are going to change? Hmm. Um, and almost everybody thought their feelings were going to get better in some way. Um, so that's not true either, right? So yeah. people can maintain, but there's not a lot of evidence that things drastically improve over time. Well, that's um, interesting, because if you think your feelings are going to get better, maybe that's one of the reasons why satisfaction drops after marriage. Yeah, and it's interesting you, you suggest that, actually, because what we found, so they, they had a few different options, basically, about how things would get better, and so kind of either a, a little better or much better. And then that study showing for women particularly, if women said it was going to get much better, um, those were actually the women whose satisfaction declined the most um, <laughs> over time um, and appeared to have the most risk kind of entering their marriage. And so sometimes almost if you're telling yourself things are going to get better, it might be a way of compensating for a lot of other 
issues that are going on. So do you, you know, as a parent, if I had a child that was about to get married, what would I, is there any recommendation for how I could get their head wrapped around what the problems are going to be like and the expectations that they're going to, that they might want to have, A, and B is, I mean, are they going to listen anyway? Right, yeah, well, I'm not sure if they're going to listen. I think that might be a uh, kind of age-old age issue there, right. but I think in terms of getting their ha- heads around the problems, I mean, the thing is, these are things that everybody reports, right? So, right. Ev- so ev- everybody still is are reporting them, so there's no kind of, you know, you don't need to be, you know, you don't have, need to have a, a PhD to figure out, like, to let somebody kind of tell you what their problems are, right? And so it's much more telling them, well, you should pay attention to those, right? So mm-hmm. you have you're saying that you have issues with your communication or you're saying you have issues with your money management or you're saying you have issues with how you divide household tasks. Well, you should probably talk about those right now, right? And you can kind of try to figure out a way of of working on those so those improve because I think the other thing that's interesting about these findings is that they say almost that even if something is staying the same, it can still start to bother us a little bit huh. more over time. Right. Um, and so I think that's kind of the angle to go at is that, you know, that your, you know, your son or your friend or um, whoever um, who is saying, oh, well, what do I do about this? It's, well, they, they know what's going on and tell them to actually talk about it, right? So we know that a lot of times um, partners don't even talk to each other about what's on their mind and um, they wait for it to get really bad and, and you know, worse. And so kind of cut off um, Try to work on it and cut off the problem before it really gets too bad. Yeah. Do I guess when we talk about couples and we we talk about problems, um, I know um, oh, John Gottman talks a lot about that there are just certain issues in marriage and relationships that aren't really there, – there, there are certain problems that aren't going to change or, or that aren't correctable. I'm not using the right terms or the terms that he used. Are, are there just some things we just need to get used to that are going to cause issues? Yeah, I mean, I think, that, you know, in some ways this is kind of what, um, you know, I think that, that idea that he had, you know, a, a long time ago really kind of uh, is found, it's reflected in these findings, right? That um, of, So of the 19 problems that we looked at, 15 of them remain stable um, mm. over time. And so I think what that really is saying is that there are going to be just certain things that you have to have to deal with and, um, uh, Weil had, uh, Dan Weil is a couple therapist, and he had this really great uh, quote, basically, uh, back in 1988, saying that the process of selecting a partner for a long-term relationship should involve the realization that you will inevitably be choosing a particular set of unresolvable problems. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that That's makes great, sense, though. Right? Because we, yeah. you, know, we pick, you know, we pick people, and obviously we pick people who we have some compati- compatibilities with, but nobody's ever going to be exactly like us, and that's a good thing, yeah. Um, but that that also can sometimes mean um, that there's issues that we have to balance and negotiate, and so you know that everybody's going to have to do deal with that. But it seems like such a healthier paradigm versus I've married the other half of me, and um, right. together we will be seamless and perfect. Right, right. And I think sometimes where we see when people have start to have problems is when those those kind of natural differences become a little bit too polarizing. Right. So. Right. You know, it's you know, it probably is good to have somebody who's more um, a little bit more of a homebody, and somebody else who wants you know gets a lot more energy from from being out and active, and those can be a really good balance. But it, when they start to slip into, well, I never want to leave the house, mm-hmm. and you only ne- only want to be outside the house. That's where couples run into some trouble. It's interesting. It almost seems like that's when they also get to the extremes 
and the, you know they might become they might be actually manifesting more of a disorder, more of a dysfunctional behavior, and then it becomes more extreme. Interesting. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's so that's the thing why it's it's important to kind of monitor that throughout so that it doesn't end up you know, becoming that sort of polarization there. Yeah. We are talking with Dr. Justin Lovner um, from UGA, uh, University of Georgia, and he's teaching us about some current research he's just uh, put out about, you know, our problems and our ability to maybe manage our expectations a little bit better and also understand that marital satisfaction and the problems we're going through, they're not always... um, they're, you know, they're not always necessarily a, a good indicator or necessarily a bad indicator of what we're going to be feeling in the marriage per se. We're going to take a break, come back more with Dr. Justin Lovner. When we come back and uh, continue this discussion, what can we do to better anticipate and understand some of the simple marital problems we might be going through? This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are on the phone with Dr. Justin Lovner from the University of Georgia. He is an assistant professor in clinical program at uh, UGA, and he's talking about his research that he did on marital problems and uh, marital satisfaction. So just because your satisfaction in a marriage is decreasing, so you're becoming less satisfied in the marriage, that does not necessarily correlate to more and more problems. Right. Sometimes our problems can remain steady, yet our satisfaction can be dropping. And uh, it's it's an interesting insight. And another insight from his research is simply once you get married, your your problems don't automatically improve. Right. Uh, problems tend to remain steady. Is that basically the point that we're learning here, Dr. Lovner? Uh, yes, exactly. Right. So kind of where kind of where you start more or less tends to be kind of how things unfold, at least for the first for the first few years there. And so in in your research, though, you basically you used, a I guess, a, a tool that was rating 19 specific problems that couples struggle in, like in-laws, household management, time spent together, you know, stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So these 19 different domains and then looking at people and they could rate them on kind of a 1 to 11 scale about, you know, either it's not a problem or it's a major problem hmm. in their relationship. And then over time, you found that I, was it 15 of the 19 remain fairly stable and don't tend to change very much? Right. Yeah. So 15 of the 19 for husbands and 16 of the 19 for wives. Um, and so out of the ones, um, the only one that we saw that consistently changed for both of them was showing affection was rated as more of a problem. Interesting. Um, so that's another kind of really interesting thing to, to think about because we tend to think about problems being the things that we fight about, right? right? And kind of the, the negative things. Um, and what this is saying is that it's a positive thing that's becoming a little bit more of a challenge, hmm. um, which I think is also really important. You asked, you know, what can people do? And I think one of the things is also to pay attention to the positives. Yeah. Right. And we tend to take those for granted, right? We're always very kind of want to make sure there's nothing bad going on. Um, but sometimes that means that we neglect some of the good things that are going on as well. That's interesting. So, if, and so paying attention to that, because we do, we, it seems like once we're hurt and we are in pain, 
it's so much easier to become more of like a negative interpreter that will just start keying in on, you know, all of the the weeds in the garden instead of all of the flowers. Right, exactly. And and again, then I guess that would probably perpetuate less marital satisfaction and maybe possibly more conflict problem or things to right, deal with. Right, yeah, and there's there's actually some uh, some kind of uh, old research now at this point basically showing that when people are less satisfied in their relationship, they see their partner more negatively than an objective person would. Hmm. So kind of they looked at, um, they had these couples inter- kind of do different interactions and then ask kind of either happy or unhappy couples to kind of rate how their partner did. And what they found is that if you were unhappy, you saw your partner is doing worse than kind of an objective person who was trained in a rating system actually yeah. saw them doing. And then it self-fulfills, right? Because you it's almost like that's where you always hear couples say, oh, I can't win with her. Everything right. I do is wrong. And it simply right. might be because they're negatively interpreting. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, if, you know, and you can imagine it, you know, it becomes a cycle. So if you interpret negatively, um, then in turn, um, you're going to act negatively, right? Which is actually going to then your partner is going to respond negatively and kind of on and on the cycle goes. What, what do you see is the, the biggest correlation to improving marital satisfaction? I, I mean, if, I, I know there's, there's something that's got to be lifting somebody's satisfaction in the relationship. Is it just eliminating some of these um, you know, problems? Is it, is it dealing with it? Is it talking about it? What is it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's the the million dollar question there, right? It's kind of what's gonna what's gonna help, uh, and I think one of the other things that we've learned is that unfortunately it's not not as simple. And so when we look at couples who do have these sorts of problems, right? So they have more problems. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to communicate worse, as we talked about, um, but they also tend to have more things going on in their lives as well. So they have a lot more external stress outside the marriage, um, and they also have um, more difficult personality traits as well. So they tend to experience more negative affect, maybe have lower self-esteem. So it becomes a really kind of complicated picture then of what to do to help. I think the most basic thing that people can do is be really, really mindful of their relationships. And so, you know, if, as I said, you know, kind of starting, um, you know, starting off your marriage and you're kind of aware that there's these certain things that are a a challenge for you, um, to just really kind of talk about those and to be really mindful of those so that they don't kind of creep up on you and that they don't start to bother you more. Yeah. And maybe assume, um, I guess, more of a systemic uh, mindset where you believe it's not just your partner that's causing you all of this misery. It might just be your your conflict resolution style. It might be that you're a negative interpreter or that you have anxiety or that you have an addiction. I mean, it seems like a lot of marriage problems could be improved by us working more at least on ourselves, to be healthier, more um, able to deal with stressors. Right, exactly. And that's one of the big things I kind of in all my uh, therapy work with, with couples is kind of ask them, well, what can you do, right? So we get fo- so yeah. focused on changing um, our partners that we forget about, well, what, you know, we actually can't really control them as much as we would like to, right? right. Um, so what we can, but what we can do is we can control how we respond to them. And so I think that's one of those things here with, again, thinking, coming back to the, the problem point is, you know, maybe this is just going to be a difference of, you know, it, it, I'm a messier person than you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just, you get bothered by the household mess sooner than I do. And that's just kind of how it is, right? And that rather than fighting about it, 
we can just kind of acknowledge that that's a difference and kind of go on our way, right? So that's the other thing that we see is that sometimes, you know, there, there can be the issue and then there can be the aftermath of the issue. Yeah, um, and the reaction and a lot of times to the issue. if we issue. can eliminate the aftermath, then the issue itself doesn't actually seem as bad anymore. I, I like that too because it, it, in a way, if we're telling each other, I value you, we're different – I don't have the same need for clean that you do and you don't have the same need for intimacy as I or sex as I do. And yet we'll both try hard to help with each other's needs and we won't be perfect at it. Right. But simply just having that out there, then it's not about, well, you don't love me because you right, don't vacuum. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, the thing that we kind of get into a lot of times is that we end up spending so much effort trying to change the other person. Yeah. Um, versus recognizing that, again, that differences are just kind of natural, right? And that that's something that, um, again, and if it's too big a difference, then you'd want to work on it, as I said. But a lot of times, you know, that, you know, just remembering, well, sometimes actually maybe it's nice to be with somebody who's a little bit messier than me, right? Yeah. That I don't have to be so neurotically cleaning it up uh-huh. all the time or whatever. Well, it's funny because um, I, can, I can almost hear people saying, well, why would I get married if I, if I have to find somebody that's just, I mean, if inevitably we're going to be so different, why would I... Well, in a way, it's it's it also is so healthy to have to learn how to be effective and healthy with somebody that's different. I mean, it's about right, growth. Right. And, right. and I think the other thing, too, is that we see that those differences actually can help, that the differences can help us, right? Exactly. So if you're, if you're somebody who really um, worries a lot, for example, and then you find somebody else who um, is much more laid back um, – and a lot of ways that can actually help both of you because if you worry, then maybe the laid backness will kind of help you mm-hmm. kind of relax a little bit. And maybe the person who is laid back, maybe they need to be a little bit more conscientious, right? So some of that can rub off on it and actually make us better people. It just is a problem when it becomes so extreme that one person is always the worrier, one person's the you know go to fun person. Yeah, yeah, and um, the others always like the heavy. Ugh, Eeyore. Right, exactly, and so that's where you know kind of you know, not making not allowing that sort of dynamic to take hold then. Hmm. And, and two, it seems like, because the more you fight on the differences, the more you polarize the difference. But like you were saying, there's also really good things going on. So I start identifying where even this different trait serves you. Like if you have a partner that loves the finances and worries about the finances, then during tax season, you ought to be making that person dinner and celebrating that difference because they're helping you. And so find the positive of the difference. Right. Again, yeah, exactly. And also kind of remembering that those, you know, that those things that are salient, kind of not forgetting all the other things that are going well, right? Yeah. So, you know, we said that out of those, you know, 19 problems, 15 were stable. But I bet if you ask some of those people, well, what do you think is actually happening? They would focus on the one or two exactly. that are maybe changing. That's right. Um, and, 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 with, and kind of missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. And they'd have 500 examples about that one thing. Right, exactly. Right. And yeah. they get it. Yeah, oh, yeah. they get so into it. Oh, that's huge. Great learnings. Uh, we appreciate it. Dr. Justin Lovner, again, from the University of Georgia. Keep up the great work. Let us know if you have uh, any new research that comes out. We'd love to talk more about it. Good stuff, folks. So, differences, they're normal. Relax, they're normal. And um, you gotta, you got to work on them. you got to figure it out. And you don't always have to solve it. You, sometimes you just need to understand it and accept it. And try to improve. Good stuff. We're going to take a break, and we're going to go deal with uh, an incredible couple. That sounds weird. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan are going to be joining us from BYU Sports Nation. We've been trying to do some um, some coaching with them to make sure their relationship stays strong so their program keeps flourishing. We'll be back with BYU Sports Nation up next.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is my tribute to BYU Sports Nation by Carly Rae Jepsen. I really, 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 really like you. We're going to go now down to Studio B. (laughs) Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan, are you guys there? Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. I'm blue, debo, debo, do die. <laughs> no, sing them, guys. Don't just talk, sing them. So call me maybe. Yes, but sing it out. It's more, it's more poetry. It is. Us, you know? <clears throat> Uh-oh, you okay? I'm all right. thought we lost you there. Nope, I'm good. Hey, um, I really, 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 really like you. Thank you. You know, one of the things I'm finding out is sometimes, um, you know, you can, some people are really good at just making music, but the lyrics are hard. So if you just find one word that you can use over and over and over again. I just want to be the hype man. Yeah, 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 yeah. My job's really easy. That, that would be The main job. guy pays for all my meals yeah. and bills. And can I, I let, just me just say, su- yeah. let me just suggest, though, Jerem, during the show today, why don't you try to do that? So as Spencer, I'm the hype man every day on this program. Wrong. Is that why you're wearing those glasses? <laughs> Jerem has huge, what, what glasses? huge this is radio. blue goggles on his face right now. God. Holy cow. Either your head shrunk or those glasses are <laughs> huge. But you need to sit there while, while Spencer's talking just keeps saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know what I was singing this morning on the way to work, Matt? Uh, was it Elmo? Was it nope. a Tickle Me Elmo song? Nope. It was not. What was My it? voice was a little lower than it usually is. Yeah. I don't know if I'm starting to come down something. No, well, it's that change. That little change. Oh, is yeah. Um, but I was... But I was singing, they be rolling, they hating, trying to catch me riding dirty. We have this thing where we like to sing <laughs> rap, uh, yeah. like in a formal way. Yeah. I oh, think that if the Mormon Tabernacle Choir covered like yeah. Kanye West or Drake, <laughs> it would be viral gold. <laughs> trying to catch me riding dirty. <laughs> There's a really weird YouTube video where a choir uh, of really old people sings that. that would they be sing so an Eminem great. song, and, and one guy goes up in the crowd and yeah. he's like, If you had one shot and one <laughs> opportunity. It's really funny. Baby Rolly. Do you think there will ever be a day that the, the, the Motab will put one of those rap music? It, rap well, it would be viral. viral gold. That oh. would shatter a lot of expectations about Mormons, too. I think it would be fun. It would blow up. I think BYUB needs to put that out there. <laughs> they need we to want to sh- use the Motab's power. <laughs> yeah, and to go viral. Um, that is uh, – wow. You guys – I didn't know you had such pipes. I mean you're, you guys sing incredibly well. No, we don't. We like to think that we do when we're trying to sing Motab rap <laughs> songs, but – But I can hear a little like um, opera in, in, in your voice. <laughs> like you could – you could do it, Spencer. Thank you. And Jeremy, you could just be the yeah. yeah, yeah. I did sing an opera line yesterday. What? One day less. Because <laughs> we were talking about Bowie's preparation yeah. for a midweek game instead of one day more. Bowie yeah. Sports yeah. Nation. The music didn't Psych have a musical episode? Uh, I think Bowie did it. The, I think they did. Yeah, um, I'll have to go check that out. Yes, I, I've confirmed with our uh, research people. staff of twenty. Wow. <laughs> uh, Bowie Sports Nation. The musical is in the works. You know what? I'd, I'd pay to see that. Why would you do that? Just because that's just good TV. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good TV. Spencer you, and I jokingly sell this to our producer, Ben Bagley, does, it, like you, once a week. Like, oh, BYU Sports Nation musical. Wouldn't that be great, though, that you guys run through the doors into the control room 
and you're singing and dancing, and then everyone in the control room stands up. Oh, yeah. And everyone just starts shaking it and working it. Yeah. Let's do it. As long as I get a shot at Moulin Rouge, that's all I want. You and McGregor, you're my hero. <laughs> you know, um, you guys know that today's a special day. I didn't want it to pass without you knowing. Well, it was National High Five Day yesterday, so it can't yeah. possibly be bigger than that. No, it's, it's like a pirate day or something? No, it's blah, blah, blah day. It's blah, blah, blah day? Uh-huh. What? The blah, blah, blah day, we believe, is a celebration from husbands, I guess, to wives maybe. Maybe wives to husbands as well. But it's when your wife like keeps talking about that list of things that she asked you to do that you haven't done yet. Yeah. And in your head, you just hear blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so what I want to know is um, what, are the, what are the things that are on the list that your wives have given you that you haven't you know, done anything Okay, let's yet? see. Uh, a honeydew list. Yeah, what's the honeydew one. list? What? We don't. We don't have a patio right now, mm-hmm. so we're working on cement. Ooh, that's that's the big project right now. Are you? Do you know how to? But you're doing that. Heck Jared. no, you're doing it. No, it's it's you're pulling weeds higher. and stuff, man. Yeah. No, Juan came over last night and he's going to give us a bid. Is he? Good dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So you're halfway there. <laughs> that's his name. Juan, he's going to help you. He's going to help you. You know, put he's it gonna up, no. He's gonna cement. do it. I'm gonna hand him some paper that's green, yeah. and he's gonna do it. Oh man, that's that. See, that's the way to do it, man. I, you know what? I'm all about if there's a professional and they can do it yeah. faster and let me free up my schedule. Great. Why if reinvent the it, wheel? You do it. <laughs> you do that's it, true. man. That's it. That's what professionalism's all about. Let the pros be pros. Holy yeah. cow! Let the we're pros a, be bros. We're gonna have some other dudes come over at three and. Give us another bid. We're going to have a bidding war. Dueling nice. bids. Uh, what was your Spencer? What uh, What's the thing on the list that you haven't taken care of yet? We have not time to discuss everything that has not been accomplished on okay. that list. Because your wife called and she says she's sending me the list. <laughs> Let's see. It starts with uh, dishes still in the sink, unfolded laundry. My mm. wife's out of town, by the way. So <sighs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. You know, it's not all a big good. deal. I'm so less motivated to do that when. There are you like know, eight things said. that need to be done. Small things. Yeah, okay. You don't have to tell You're us. busy going to volleyball tonight, yeah. rugby tomorrow. You're busy people. Tomorrow. There's busy a lot people. going on. <laughs> We're probably playing Tecmo Super Bowl at some point. <laughs> don't say that on the air. Now no. your wife, Now his wife's going to know, Jerem. My wife doesn't watch the show. Okay, good. Yeah, mine doesn't either. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> They're not interested. They don't like, get, I see you enough at home. They don't get how big we are. Like, we, do you ever go home and just say, honey, we are huge. I'm a big deal. If you just listened... You'd know. She's like, do the dishes and yeah. then tell me. She's like, okay, yeah. Can you just shut up and do the tell dishes? Tell me all about it while you're doing the things I've asked you I to do. I love doing the dishes. Wait, what? You do? Yeah. Why? I seriously love doing the dishes. It's therapy for Jeremy. Yeah, it's it's like, oh, I accomplished this thing. Hey, Jeremy, I work in can you come boxes. over to my house tonight? I've Not got... your dishes, my dishes. Oh, you really. like doing your dishes. Yeah. I'm a, I... se- I'm, a, I'm a selfish, charitable dishwasher. <laughs> That's the worst kind. By the, way. <laughs> <laughs> they are the worst kind. Hey, what you guys still doing your show today, right? We are doing our show. There's I a ask lot that going on day. today. What, what's what's on your show? Okay, Kyle Davis, who is a Utah State transfer, he had to sit out last year and pay his own way at BYU on the men's basketball team. Oh, wow, he's going to be a stud on next year's team. He'll join us in studio, tell us how he's going to tear it up next year, as well as Luke Maki, the scrum half from the BYU rugby team, who plays in the national semifinal tomorrow at home against Central Washington. BYU will crush them and then in two weeks play for the national championship again. Yes. Then, uh, which would be BYU's fourth straight. Then we also have Brendan Sander of the men's volleyball team, who tonight hosts number one Hawaii. You can listen to that on BYU Radio. Watch mm. it on BYU TV tonight. He's the younger brother of Taylor Sander, who was the national player of the year last year. So a three-guest lineup. That's a big show. Means a big show. Other than that, not much show. going on. Well, and I, maybe you shouldn't call somebody a scrum half. This Or, okay, there's another name that in, in rugby that we probably... 
You know what? Just look it up. Okay, we'll go look it up. It's number two. All the all the positions. Oh, are they have by... numbers. They have numbers. Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna check that out. Okay, look up rugby okay. position number two. Position number two, and uh, then we can we can call people scrum halves. Okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, the scrum half is number nine. Oh, it's a number nine. I see. I'm so confused. I'll go look up number two. Okay. Hey guys, have a great show. We will do that. Keep up the good work. Thanks, and Maddie. Good Thanks, luck Dr. with Matt. your uh, your bids today, Jerem. Yes, That's so great. Bids you're you're to getting the, uh, bids. National uh, Cement Tournament, March yeah. Cement Madness. I'm ge- you're getting bids on that, and I'm going to go get some bids from my doctor on replacement of hips. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> we both need them. Yep. Good times. <laughs> good times. All right. Have a great show, uh, folks. You know, wow. That's a lot of information we just got out right there. Two shows collide. We learned words like scrum half, blah, blah, blah. We even heard some opera rap. Only here on the Matt Townsend Show and BYU Sports Nation, apparently. Hey, um, as we wrap up the show, learned a lot today. A bunch of very, very basic learnings, but um, pretty important. For example... Get rid of the e-cigs. Don't let your kids be doing that. That's the gateway drug. 400,000 new teens are uh, starting to use e-cigarettes. Remember, we went from 40 million people in the country down to 20 million smoking, and now we're going to go pump that back up. Let's not go there. We talked with Pamela Meyer, if you remember, earlier in uh, in the first hour of the show about spotting a liar. Great, uh, great information. If you didn't hear that segment, go find us on podcast. Just go to any, basically, all the top podcasting tools. Do a little search under the Matt Townsend Show and uh, start listening to those as well. That's a great uh, tool to help you learn not just to quit lying and or how to detect a liar, but maybe more importantly, how to, um, you know, find the truth and grow the truth. Um, anyway, that's a, that's an interesting little lesson we learned. And also we talked about the, the e-cigs, but then in our last hour, we talked about um, the power of, you know, your differences in your marriage. They don't always have to destroy your relationship. You ought to just get used to the fact that you're going to be different, be different, which James, we wanted to teach you. That's my. That's one of my wedding presents is to keep teaching you how to have a healthy marriage. The presents are plentiful. I mean, you're gonna take up most of the reception, and no, I'm not. I wouldn't use the words "take up." Oh, I would you're say going to I would grace edi- us. I would edify. Okay. The event with about a 20 minute tango with your wife. Uh, we now know her name is Kaylee. Kaylee Taylor. Not any of the other things we've called her, because of a lack of knowing. We also um, – I'm going to be doing a little toast that will involve a slideshow and a PowerPoint. Well, you're extremely generous. Some might argue um, even overly generous. Yeah. No, you can argue that. And I'm not even charging. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, if I charged you, that would be more, a lot more. And Terry, I bet, is just going to show up with a present, probably be there a few minutes and leave. Yeah. I'll be there all day, camped out so, with my nine family members. Looks like that's kind of the intent of the gathering is come, you greet, you congratulate, and – Leave a present. Hit the road. And then what we like to do is sit there and um, we'll probably eat a lot. Terry, are you going to stay there for Matt's dance and keynote? No, I'll probably leave. There will probably be like YouTube and Twitter posts and stuff I for can sure. read later. No, so for sure. It will be fine. In fact, all of you could look out for those those <laughs> – it's called uh, – it'll just be the Birds All Extravaganza uh, as Kaylee, the Matt Townsend Show, marries James Birdsall. It's a beautiful moment. 
James, thanks for letting us be a part of that. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't throw their marriage out like that. But you do. You let us well, be a he part. Actually, doesn't really do much. It's mostly you. Nope. Didn't even. Don't even know what you're talking about. Mostly you bringing it up. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. We're here uh, every week. We can't do it without you. Please join us again um, Monday for more uh, episodes, as well as tomorrow on Saturday. We'll have a best of show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Have a great uh, weekend, and until Monday, take care of yourself and look for the good in the world.